and they're like screaming and burning to death and rogue is just like what the fuck are you doing reagan and she's like what she's like the same thing i did to you right she's like this is what i do i'm lady mastermind you hired me like what were you <laughs> this is my whole shtick x-men x-men in the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith. And with me today is Alex Abad Santos, returning guest, who you may remember from episode three on Emma Frost, one of the highest rated episodes of this podcast. Alex is a writer at Vox who covers a lot of different culture things, but often covers comics. So I knew that he would be a good guest and it turned out he was and I'm thrilled to have him back for episode 33, 30 episodes later. <laughs> Alex, how are you today? I am very good. I'm in California. Oh, jealous. I can't believe we, the last time we talked was like <laughs> in the middle of the pandemic and it's Yeah, still like happening. September and it's still going on. I mean, I don't know. I'm all vaccinated now. Are you all vaccinated and everything? Good to go? I am one dose down. Okay. I'm like two doses out and fully like marinated. Like I've like all of my antibodies are now activated. So I'm yeah. going to be out in California soon. Thank all God. All you have to do is wait for the booster shot, right? That's like six months later though, right? <laughs> yeah, and also that's like, all... that's just how flu shots work. Like, <laughs> yeah. of course we need booster shots. People are like a booster shot. I'm like, I get a flu shot every year. Yeah, that's how I, that works. I remember when we, when you started the podcast, it was like a wish and a dream and like audacity. And you were like, let's yeah. see if it goes somewhere. Let's and see. Let's go someplace. 30 episodes later, you're here. Yeah, it's going pretty well. If you would like to support Cerebro and keep it going, <laughs> you can go to www.patreon.com slash Cerebrocast. And for just $5 a month at the House of Zaladane tier, you can have instant access to a monthly bonus episode. And they may end up being bi-monthly because I'm enjoying doing them. So we'll see how that all goes. Meanwhile, Alex is here today. For a little kiki about Reagan Wingard and her sister Martinique, the ladies mastermind, <laughs> two of the dumbest characters in the history of the X-Men, but that's why I adore them. Yes. This is one of the more obscure subjects so far, I think. A lot of people are going to go, who are you even talking about? And the answer is, stay tuned and find out. Martinique has appeared two Zaladanes. I want to say that Reagan has appeared almost five Zaladanes. These are relatively minor characters. They exist in the first place as kind of a fluke. So the backstory, for those of you who are not familiar with these characters at all, is that Mastermind is a classic villain of the 60s. He first appears in X-Men 4 by Stanley and Jack Kirby alongside the rest of the original Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. He's a creepy old lech. He's really gross. He has the power of illusion. Later in the 70s, under Claremont, he returns, now using the name Jason Wingard and using his illusions to make himself this sort of hot Victorian gentleman and trying to get into the Hellfire Club by converting Jean Grey, the Phoenix, to their cause. This goes badly and she ends up becoming Dark Phoenix and exploding his mind essentially by opening his thoughts to the consciousness of the universe. 
He then sort of falls out of use for a long time. He turned up again in the 90s, but like just to die of the legacy virus. So that's Mastermind, who I'll get to someday, I'm sure. (laughs) But Lady Mastermind and, well, so it's complicated. First, in 1995, there was this miniseries called Wolverine and Gambit Victims by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, who had previously worked together on Batman stuff. It's a little surreal to read an X-Men comic in that style because it looks exactly like The Long Halloween or like other Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale stuff. The antagonist is a woman named Martinique Jason who reveals that she is the new mastermind in honor of her father taking his code name. And because she's telepathic, her illusions are way more potent and scary than her father's ever were. She basically looks exactly like Talia al Ghul. <laughs> like especially the version from Batman the Animated Series like she wears the outfit even and it's a little bit like okay so that character hung around for a while and then fast forward to 2001 Chris Claremont's writing Extreme X-Men Joe Casey is writing Uncanny X-Men they both decide to use Martinique in their story and no one communicates that to the other one So editorial is like, wait, 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 wait. We're getting scripts in with the same character in two places at once. And what are the odds? Because this was not a major character. She'd been used like twice (laughs) since that miniseries, right? So Claremont is like, okay, I'll just create another one. And so he decides that Martinique, the female mastermind, has a sister named Reagan, who's blonde, and calls herself Lady Mastermind. <laughs> and she's the villain in Extreme X-Men. And it becomes something that they talk about in the text. Like in the Joe Casey storyline, Mystique and Martinique are talking. And Martinique's like, I've been imprisoned here. And I've heard my half-sister is causing trouble all over the globe. <laughs> so it becomes clear that they don't like each other very much. But yes, created by a fluke, Reagan has gone on to be the more prominent character in part because Mike Carey used her on Rogue's very ill-fated team of X-Men early in the Carey run. That's a rundown essentially of who these people are. We'll get deeper into it. Alex, I'd love to know why you love these characters and why you suggested talking about them because the minute (laughs) you did, I was like, yes, I am putting that on the schedule right now. I mean, I just kind of love the idea of like their powers being just like illusions that can kind of hurt you and they're very hyper real but also like they're so over the top i think you mentioned it and i saw a tweet of yours and it was probably on the podcast when they were like when i think you mentioned or someone had mentioned that they look like the cock destroyer they do look like the cock destroyers (laughs) except that one of them is brunette american cock destroyers except i think martinique is british So they even are kind of just like, she kind of is just a cock destroyer. Reagan might be British too, for all we know. Maybe. Reagan seems American in her speech patterns, but like Martinique is introduced in London in that miniseries. And then a couple other times she'll say like, ta or other things to people. So I think she is British. And they're half sisters. So who knows? And their other half sister, which we'll get to, is Welsh. So, you know, who oh, knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe he was correct. just. I've always seen Reagan. Yeah. I've always, I mean, she was in Australia and whatever. And like yeah, when Shaw that. hired her, she was in Australia. I've always seen them as American cock destroyers, but 
But yeah, I'm just saying, like, who knows? I mean, their their <laughs> accents might be illusions. We have no idea, yes. really, what's going on with them. And, they, and the whole cock-destroying appearance and garb could be an illusion, Could be too. an illusion as well, right. <laughs> Actually, in the first miniseries, that one that Martinique appears in, that Tim Sale draws, when she realizes she's been tricked by Arcade and she's, like, leaving in disgust, mm-hmm. her face kind of looks ugly. And the suggestion is that, like her father, she's created an illusion to make herself hot, but she isn't actually hot. Mm-hmm. That's been kind of dropped subsequently, <laughs> and like they'll be knocked unconscious and still look really hot. So I don't <laughs> think that that's the case, but you never know. <laughs> the cock destroyers, if you're unfamiliar, don't Google them at work. I guess we're all working from home now, but I represent the cock destroyers. So I'm really into this synergy here uh, between my podcast and my clients. The Cock Destroyers, Rebecca Moore and Sophie Anderson, are two British porn stars, adult performers with the biggest boobs you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) They talk like this. They're Cock Destroyers, babe. Cock fucking destroyers. (laughs) They had a show called Slag Wars, a reality show where people competed to be slags. And they have other stuff coming down the pipe. They sort of became internet personalities on the strength of their joie de vivre. And I think that Reagan and Martinique, Reagan in particular, have popped up again and again in X-Men comics in part because of a very similar quality. Like there's just something very fun about them. Whenever they pop up with their boobs akimbo (laughs) and their like their huge hair, like it just feels like you're like, yes, these girls again. I love them. (laughs) And it doesn't even matter that they like kind of do the same thing they get roped into the same teams like this yeah they're just constantly getting hired to do stupid illusory shit it's like whenever mystique needs something she'll hire one of them (laughs) yeah whichever one's available in the storyline will just be with mystique doing something or yeah they got hired to be part of the sisterhood which is one of the worst arcs of the fraction uncanny run and we'll get to that but um also they Correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe this is just something I pick up on, but I feel like the Wingards are probably the family that gets most, like, they get knocked unconscious the most. Oh, <laughs> fully concussed all the time. It, if they appear in a comic, chances are they will end that art unconscious or in some kind of weird coma. Or like, yeah, comatose. <laughs> Imprisoned in their own minds. It's just always, it never goes well. And there's just something very funny about, I I think what happened was eventually writers started leaning into them being like dumb bitches and it became really fun. Like Reagan's a little smarter, but (laughs) there's a great moment in the Pixie Strikes Back miniseries by Catherine Imanen and Sarah Pacelli where they're confronted by one of their father's other mistresses or whatever another baby mama and they're having a conversation with her and martinique's like all right go over this again and just remember we're not detail oriented (laughs) (laughs) it's just like this very like (laughs) it's just really good and sarah pacelli draws their boobs as big as their head they're bimbos in like a very funny way and because there are so many female characters who are actualized and non bimbo-y in the X-Men. It doesn't come across as sexist. It's just like, this is who these two women are. They just are this. 
And then it's also funny watching the X-Men react to them because it's just like, oh, it's the twins. And like in that same comic, they're like, oh, it's the twins. And they're like, wait, yeah. they're not twins. And we're like, wait, we're not. They're not twins. Actually, they're half sisters. Like, but they look exactly the same, except that they have different color hair. <laughs> they have the same boobs. Well, it's because, yeah, after um, <laughs> starting in sisterhood. They mm-hmm. took that Talia Al Ghul cat suit off Martinique and had her just start wearing Reagan's outfit. <laughs> and Reagan's outfit, let me describe it for you if you're not familiar. So there is this specific design that Chris Bocciolo is very fond of. I call it the Bocciolo top. It's a look that he puts <laughs> any female character he can get into. And it is basically... Low cut is not the word for it. It is... <laughs> Uh, it is an outfit that it only like sort of technically constitutes a shirt. Basically, it covers half the boob in like sort of a bustier cup, but like only half the boob, like just somehow the nipples are not visible. <laughs> and then it cuts all the way down to her belt. And then on yeah. the other side, it's symmetrical. So basically, it's like two strips of material that just cover nip and then go down to the waist it's absolutely insane he puts it on a couple other characters he had age of apocalypse dazzler wear it in one of the age of apocalypse revisits but in white and then in the Venice era of uncanny x-men he has emma wear it and i never liked that first of all when they put emma in black i just don't it's not right it's not right, and I don't <laughs> like it. Absolutely incorrect. Emma wears white, and I don't care yeah. if you're making a point. It's just not. It's just not correct. It's also like it's just like the most warped V you've ever seen. Yeah, it's <laughs> like well, it's like if you think about how the Goblin Queen outfit on Madeline Pryor is just sort of like a triangle that reveals under boob. Mm-hmm. This is sort of like a V, but it goes all the way down past her navel to the belt. It's more of a you almost. Like it's, <laughs> it's like very skinny. Like it's like yeah, this, it's yeah. Like, You'll see also- in the cover art. You'll see exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> but basically, now they both wear it. Sarah Pacelli made it a little bit less ridiculous and just made it a, like sort of a bustier they were both wearing. Mm-hmm. But she made their boobs so huge that it also just it really was. It is not. It is not made for battle. No. (laughs) And that's the thing is like, these are psychics. I've talked about how I like when psychic characters don't necessarily wear. I mean, I love Betsy's Outback armor, but I also like the costume when Betsy's first joined the X-Men and she's just sort of wearing this cold shoulder top (laughs) bodysuit with like chiffon sleeves. Betsy was ready for the vaccine. Betsy was always ready. She was born ready. Inject me, babe. My arms are exposed. But yeah, so I like that vibe to it is it's like you're not going to get close enough to me to cause me any harm. But that also leads to things like in Messiah Complex when Wolverine just like rams his claws through (laughs) Reagan's chest. And it's like maybe you should have worn armor of some kind. It also is like, why do you need to be floating around like that close to someone if you can do a, <laughs> like a psychic projection? <laughs> it's just like, you should be hiding somewhere. You should not yeah. be in the fray because that's how you get claws slammed through your abdomen. But then sometimes she has guns. Reagan has guns. I it's think true. Mar- yeah. Martinique is not as gun friendly, maybe. When she's first introduced, she has a gun and uses it. I mean, sometimes they're just like, there's that great, I think this may be on the cover art. There's that... By great, let me be clear, I mean 
horrendous because it's Greg Land. But the Sisterhood arc, which is all by Greg Land, has a number of really sort of fun Reagan and Martinique moments because that's when they first put them in the same outfit. Mm -hmm. And they're just sort of like both crouching in like a sexy (laughs) La Femme Nikita pose, but like with matching submachine guns. And you're like, why do you need guns, too? Yeah, why do you need guns? Why are you doing a sexy crouch? (laughs) Why is any of this happening? Because according to comic books, these illusionists are probably the most powerful illusionists. In the world. Yeah. (laughs) At one point, Martinique transforms the entire city of San Francisco into a hippie paradise and mind controls all of its residents into just vibing. Uh Uh-huh. And she doesn't even mean to. <laughs> well, it's also, she also made everyone really hot, too. Like, she was just like... <laughs> That's a really powerful illusion. And yet, here we are slinking around with our tits out with machine guns at the ready. Why? There's no need for this. And yet, and that's the thing that I like about the ladies mastermind is that they are always (laughs) taking it the extra mile to be the stupidest, sluttiest supervillains ever seen. And I find that really endearing. I don't know. It is completely endearing. They got the assignment and they're sticking to it. Like they know exactly what they are here to do. I mean, I think they... What really unlocks it is when, like, a writer gets, like, how funny they are. Yeah, you have to make it funny or it doesn't work. If you don't make it funny, it becomes, like, exploitative. And it becomes, like, a little, like, uh, a little creepy. But, like, yeah. if you make it funny, like, like the cock destroyers. Like, the whole, like... <laughs> That's the thing, is it has to be a winky thing where, like, Reagan and Martinique know what they're doing. Exactly. That's why the cock destroyers are funny because the cock destroyers are doing this hypersexual, insane thing, but you understand that it's a persona they've crafted that they think is funny. And it is. And it, and that's and what, it is. Yeah, and it is hilarious. Yeah. It's almost drag in that way. Oh, it is completely. It's that I mean, heightened. Illusions are drag. Illusion, <laughs> right? Like, exactly. Drag is a female illusion, right? These are <laughs> cis women doing drag. Yeah. And it's just really fun. It's really fun. I mean, I really do think that Pixie Strikes Back is where it crystallized for me because I enjoy Reagan in the Carrie stuff where she's just kind of like a bitch, but it's fun. (laughs) But as like a duo, the Sisterhood stuff is boring. That arc is not good. Greg Land, there's no way for Greg Land to draw a woman or trace a woman, let's be honest, that doesn't come across exploitative right so i mean that Mm -hmm. arc also features like the stepford cuckoo suddenly looking about 29 years old and doing tantric yoga with elixir (laughs) and you're just like why is this happening yeah that was i was i remember reading that comic i'm like who the fuck are these people oh (laughs) oh, it's the cuckoos why are they 35 (laughs) and also porn stars like he just can't help himself right yeah and there was, like, them three, like, it was, like, yeah, it was yoga, wasn't it? Was they're it doing yoga? yoga. Elixir has a yoga studio because they're all in San Francisco <laughs> now. And he's, like, teaching them tantric yoga. And there's sort of this implication that they're all going to fuck him. It's very weird. And that's the also the one where it's, like, um, Spiral is doing a portal. And she's, like, oh, no, the stupid X-Men are coming. <laughs> <laughs> Aurora's like 10 miles away. And Aurora, who's like flying at the door, goes, The stupid what? <laughs> Which is great. I mean, I think it's unintentionally 
campy and great. Well, that's but I, I <laughs> never know because this is, of course, the same writer artist team that gave us the infamous "Hey, I'm Allie" hey panel of Dazzler looking coked out of her fucking mind, leaning into the <laughs> hospital room with her yes. boobs pointing in diametrically opposite <laughs> directions. So I'm never sure what's meant to be funny what's meant to be camp <laughs> right. and what is just camp by virtue of the fact that greg lands weird franken bunnies it's like how many playboy bunnies did i graft via tracing into this x-woman probably like three or four it's like the one set of, it's like one body one face a couple arms they all look completely uncanny he puts the Uncanny X-Men right smack dab in the middle of the Uncanny Valley. Yes. And there's something very off-putting about it, but it makes the moments that are funny astoundingly funny because you're just like, <laughs> what am I looking at? <laughs> the stupid what? The, what? the stupid what? It's also It also makes for like, the scene where Reagan joins the sisterhood is really funny because she's like crouched at her father's grave paying her respects, which first of all, doesn't make any sense because she hates her father. But that aside, there is this really, <laughs> she turns around because the Red Queen, who is not Madeline Pryor, we'll get into it. The Red Queen, who is claiming to be Madeline Pryor and her sisterhood are like, hey join us and she turns around and she's like what's that skank doing here and it's her sister yeah. that's funny right and then her sister is like no skank i'm here because someone can bring back dad skank yeah she's like she'll bring daddy back and it's like what okay i guess and then like fast forward what is happening on krakoa like well yeah because now he is back Everyone's back. Yeah, everyone's Well, actually, I mean, in the most recent issue of Hellions, we saw yeah. that Martinique is Arcade's prisoner and that he's threatening to kill her. And that's why Mastermind is helping Arcade. Mm -hmm. It's funny for a couple reasons. One is that Martinique was introduced in a scheme with Arcade. So they Indeed. have a long history together. But also because this is the first time we've ever seen Mastermind and one of his children interact. And it's kind of funny that he even cares. I would have imagined that he would have been like, who? Yeah, apparently <laughs> he's been, <laughs> and, and probably in a very gross, creepy way, he has fathered so many children. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's like, and it's like, you know, he didn't get that being like. He did that with his, like, hot With drag. his illusions, right. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> yeah. fucked up. And it's funny because it's like, oh, you know how they're his kid because some, they have some kind of illusion power. It's the most potent sperm illusion. <laughs> yeah. Like it's encoded in the DNA. Yeah, like, it just gets in there and <laughs> that baby is going to be able to really fuck up your head. <laughs> Just illusions. Even Pixies, spoiler alert, who turns out to be his third daughter that we're aware of in Pixie Strikes Back, her power is she's not an illusionist, but her pixie dust makes you hallucinate. So it's very similar. Yes. And I think she, and I think she figures in, in Way of X, there's more pixie dust, which makes people go nuts. Part of why we are doing this this week is because Pixie is about to be the deuteragonist of Way of X by Cy Spurrier starring Nightcrawler and that comes out tomorrow when you hear this. Tomorrow, yes. Yeah, so I thought that a little bit of a primer on her weird family would be fun because honestly what warmed me to Pixie, Pixie is a character that 
I really did not care for. And I think it's because she joins the X-Men in this Fraction Land period. And in the Academy X book, she had been like a child who looked like a child. And then Greg Land suddenly made her one of his Frankenbunnies. And they were like, don't worry, she's 18. And it's like, okay, when did that happen? But also he's drawing her like she's 27. (laughs) And in very, very skin tight. Just slightly younger than the very, very old cuckoo. Yeah, like, it, well, they're all the same model, I bet. You know what I mean? Like, they have the same face. Yeah, it's always the same angle. It doesn't yeah. matter that Aurora is Kenyan and that Dazzler is, like... No, they have the same face, the same hair yeah. texture, the same, same body. Yeah, it's just, Eyes like, that are always squinting. It's a very particular Greg Land style and so pixie to me it was like okay she's like an anime character with pink hair who greg land has hypersexualized, and she has a soul dagger like magic soul sword and she's got wings and she's like it just felt very forced to me as like here's the cool new character for the aughts and i was not feeling it yeah, and they almost like position her as like a kitty pride. Right. It's like she's bit. the new kitty or Jubilee, and I just was not feeling it. It also like I thought it was weird to depower Angel Salvador on M Day and then have the other insect girl who is a sexy white girl be the main student. Mm-hmm. It felt weird to me. So I didn't care for Pixie. Then I read Pixie Strikes Back because early in this podcast, someone told me that I should read it. And it fully is stupid. Like, it's a stupid (laughs) miniseries, but it knows that it's stupid. Right. It's self-consciously stupid. It says, okay, this is a story about Pixie. The plot of it essentially is that, like, demons kidnap the X-Men student girls and use Pixie's powers to transport them all to a fake high school where they like are hallucinating an evil prom. It's funny. And throughout it, we see that Pixie's mother, who is a literal fairy. (laughs) I think actually this is what it is. It's the Draco, but it knows it's stupid. And that's why it really works. Like, whereas the Draco takes itself so seriously and is like, Nightcrawler's father is the devil, twist. And it's funny, like, the Draco is funny, but not because it's trying to be. Pixie Strikes Back is like, okay, the fairy mutant girl, like, here's her mom, who is literally a fairy of Otherworld. And by the way, her long lost father was Mastermind, which is gross to even think about. But like Mastermind mating with a fairy is a funny idea. And having two half sisters who are cock destroyers. And making the evil cock destroyers Pixie's half sisters is really funny. And then the whole idea of like, how are these two bimbo half sisters going to save everyone from the demon? Right. Because then it falls to them. It's like, only you can do this. That's what's really funny. And like, when when Mrs. Gwyn, the fairy, yeah. finds them, they're like <laughs> living, in, <laughs> they're like living in some estate that they've inherited. And we first see them just like wrestling, like, the, like pulling each other's hair. And she's just like, can you two stop? They're like, who are you? And then they try to put her... They try to put her into illusions, and they're just like, she's like, these are the dumbest illusions I've ever seen. (laughs) 
And she's like, you have to stop this. I really need your yeah. help. But the implication that they just spend their days like sexy <laughs> wrestling with each other is really funny also. Like there's no one watching them. And yet it seems like they spend all of their time acting out like a porn scenario. Right. And it's. I think it is because this mini was written and drawn by women. Like there is something very like winky and funny about like, this is how these comics present women a lot. Like it feels almost like a joke about that Greg Land story, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, completely. It's notable that like the other ex women who help in the story are Emma and Psylocke. Asian Psylocke, like <laughs> Betsy stealing Kanon's body, who are two of the most sexualized X-Men, and they're not really sexualized at all in Pixie Strikes Back. They actually just seem really annoyed about everything that's happening. It's <laughs> just like, <laughs> well, they, well, like, they all end up showing up at the high school at the same time, and Emma and Psylocke are just like, what the fuck are they doing here? Why are they here? <laughs> It's like, is that Pixie's mom? Why did she bring the mastermind <laughs> twins? And then someone's like, they're not twins, actually. It's like, doesn't matter. I don't care. Yeah. It's like, I think she, Emma calls them trolls. And then Nightcrawler's like, they're not trolls. And then Psylocke goes, they're tw- the, the mastermind twins. And then Nightcrawler goes, no, they're not actually twins. They're not actually twins. And it's like, we don't care. We just want to handle this. But they do join forces with Pixie to save the day. Like, they combine their sister powers and defeat the demon. And Pixie teleports them away so that the X-Men can't arrest them as, like, you know, a thank you. Right. And that was the last we saw of either of them for a long while. And then Reagan popped up in Bendis's all-new X-Men, working for Mystique briefly. Oh, right. And fights Teen Jean and is like... You ruined my family and drove my father insane. I'm like, you hated your father. The thing that's really funny is they outwardly present, like they're always talking about like our father and this and that. And then whenever they're alone, they're like our fucking father. We hated him. (laughs) But to the X-Men, they're always like, you wronged our family. It's like very, it's like, first of all, you two did not grow up together. As far as we know, you don't like each other and you both didn't like your father. The really iconic moment that Reagan has is in the Carrie arc when she's infiltrating the psychiatric hospital on Providence, Cable's island base. And she's talking to the head shrink and she's just like, so you do hypnotherapy, right? Because I really need some. Can we go somewhere (laughs) private? We don't need me to freak out when I start talking about that time my dad hit on me. (laughs) it's like oh what and i mean the idea i guess would be that she probably didn't meet him until she was an adult and that he was like hey lassie and she was like you're my dad this is disgusting and he was like oh oops and he's like look at this illusion see we're we're family (laughs) look we love illusions and then now in Krakoa, they, aren't they both in the, or I think Reagan is, is like the weird, I don't even want to talk about it, but like the Empire arc. And she has to fight the plant zombies. I liked, I liked Empire X-Men. <laughs> it's like, it's very silly, but it feels intentionally silly. But again, what is Reagan going to do with the zombies? <laughs> well, they needed all the telepaths. So yeah. it was like they, they showed up because they were part of the telepath backup squad. But the yeah. thing about for, the thing that happens first, though, is in Giant Size Nightcrawler, she gets captured. She's like using the 
Krakoan portal at the X Mansion that's oh. been abandoned. Oh no, I forgot. Isn't isn't there an Mpox thing? There's an Mpox. Oh, there's yeah. But we there's... don't like talking about. <laughs> yeah, I skipped right over Inhumans versus X Men without even thinking about it. That's a trigger point for all. There's of us. an annual. Honestly, it's a good story. It's by Rex Ogle. Danny Moonstar saves mm-hmm. Reagan, who's dying of Mpox, and. Reagan's like trying to goad Danny into killing her because she doesn't want to die of Mpox or to live as a disfigured Mpox victim. And they take her to the hospital and stabilize her. And she's like, thank you. Not really my style to say thank you. So if you tell anybody I said it, I'll yeah. say you're lying, and, you know. And it's always ends up with another Wingard in a hospital. <laughs> yeah, well, they're endlessly in the hospital. I mean, Reagan's very first arc in Extreme, she's hired by Shaw. Mm-hmm. to torture Sage because Shaw is mad about... An excellent, actually, I think that is one of my most favorite little... Um, just like the way her powers work when it's established there. Yeah. I'm kind of like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, well, it's I get deeply it. Claremont, right? Like, you can yeah. tell this is the one Claremont created because Martinique's illusions are much more like their dads as initially presented in the Wolverine Gambit mini. It's mm-hmm. like, she makes you doubt your surroundings and this and that. Reagan uses her telepathy to access your memories really directly and then drag you essentially into a personal hell that she creates for you. Shaw is upset because it turns out that all along Tessa was a spy for Xavier and now she's left and joined the X-Men and Shaw's like, what the fuck? (laughs) You know, so he decides I'm going to brainwash her into being mine again, which is like, okay, dude, like what a gross creepo. But the point is... This is when they're all in Australia helping lifeguard Heather Cameron. Lifeguard is an Australian (laughs) X-Man who has the power, we've talked about it briefly, to activate any mutant power as long as it will help her save someone else's life. She's like Darwin, but whereas Darwin adapts to save himself, Lifeguard adapts to save the people around her. She wears a red swimsuit and it's basically just a long Baywatch joke. And she doesn't <laughs> last very long as a character. And she also was a little bit of a bimbo. Yeah, yeah, no. And like the thing about Claremont's Reagan is that Claremont's Reagan isn't really a bimbo because that's not what Claremont does. Like Claremont no. writes her as a dominatrix who's very like controlling and evil and vicious because that's sort of like his bag. And very insulting. Like, she is always... She's just mean. Yeah. Like, (laughs) but but so Shaw hires her to drag Sage into a recreation of Sage's time in the Hellfire Club, basically, and, like, make Sage relive all of her experiences as Tessa, all of her experiences from before she was at the Hellfire Club and was, like, a war orphan and all of that shit. And it's just meant to essentially, like, break her down until she forgets her allegiance to the X-Men and becomes Shaw's creature once again. Or just kill her. It's like one or the other, you know? Like, I want her off the board or back in my control. Right. Reagan's power, because of its telepathic component, can create psychosomatic effects. So... If you're dragged real deep into one of her illusions and something in the illusion hurts you, your brain will be so convinced it's real that you will be physically harmed. So that is what levels it up considerably from her father's illusions, which you could just sort of be like, this isn't happening and close your eyes and they can't do anything to you. It's very like 
a dominatrix Freddy Krueger-esque type person. Exactly. It has a Nightmare on Elm Street kind of quality. You you die die for real. Right. Or like The Matrix. It's like, it's one of those, right? And she is kind of in this first appearance just wearing a full body (sighs) black cat suit like she's in The Matrix. Yes. It's very, like, cat suit, maybe. I think she has a pair of, like, very future, like, Remember in like the nineties when we thought the future in the future everyone wear glasses? Like, like yeah, like super <laughs> stylish, like pointy sunglasses kind of things, which is yeah. also what Sage wears, right? As right. like her technopathy. <laughs> so it comes across as like kind of an evil version. Yes. Sage, though, as we know, or as we're learning in this book, because she's been reintroduced after being off the page for a long time since Claremont's initial run for the most part. She pops up a couple times in the nineties, but not that frequently. Sage has a computer mind, that's her mutation, and a formidable psychic firewall. Mm -hmm. So it takes Reagan a really long time to actually break her down. Right. It's like one illusion after another illusion. And it's just like, (laughs) there's a point where it's like, I think I think Sebastian Shaw was just like, what's happening now? And she's like, wait, wait, I need like three more illusions. Yeah, it's like, hold on, hold on, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. (laughs) And then it's, but yeah, and like. And then Lifeguard comes in. But first, but first, but first, but first, but first. So the X-Men are trying to save Sage and Rogue. enters the fray (laughs) and now if sage has profound mental defenses guess who does not (laughs) rogue i got (laughs) ahead of myself (laughs) so i'm I'm laughing internally about how funny this is because it's It's really funny it's really funny so rogue comes in is like i'll destroy you lady mastermind i will destroy you you can't hurt my friend sage and so Reagan just pops into Rogue's mind and like catalogs all of her fears. And this right. is after Psylocke has been killed by Vargas. Don't worry about it. He's like a character you truly never need to worry about, but he's still a present threat at that time. So she makes Rogue imagine that Vargas has killed all of their friends. She then makes <laughs> she then she then makes all of the other X-Men look like Vargas whenever Rogue sees them. So I was like, I'll kill you, Vargas, for what you did to Betsy. It's like, you hurt Betsy, I'm going to kill you. And she's just, and they're just like, bro, what the fuck are you doing? She's like punching Bishop in the face or whatever. She's like carrying, she, she's at one point she's like zooming away and like carrying someone. And then it's like, surprise, it's Rick. It's Lady Mastermind who you just carried to safety, you dumb dumb. It's, it's like a really psychic fun. powerhouse. It's a psychic powerhouse. Rogue is not. Versus Rogue. Like Rogue is fucked. Like God love her. We all love Rogue, but Rogue I mean, is not. Rogue, Rogue, is a, Rogue is a jock. Ro- yes. Ro- yes. Rogue, Rogue is, is a, a meathead. <laughs> Rogue has a keen strategic mind when she really has time to think about it. But in the heat of battle, Rogue yeah. is not She's a quick thinker. She's right. Exactly. Muscle. Right. So just not well suited to fighting Lady Mastermind. The oh. only reason that it all goes pear shaped for Reagan is that Lifeguard shows up, the newest <laughs> member of the X Men. So. lifeguard who can manifest any power to save her friends or whatever is just like in the vicinity and sage subconsciously reaches out with her own telepathy and drags lifeguard into the illusion 
lifeguard who might be wearing a swimsuit at that. I believe <laughs> she is. Well, it's it's like her X Men costume, but it just kind of looks like a wetsuit. Mm-hmm. And then because it's Claremont, there's a moment where like lifeguard's mouth disappears in the illusion. I'm actually going to read it because it's great. Reagan's like. I know the uniform, but not your face. Are you a new recruit? <laughs> Don't bother struggling, sweetness. I've taken away your ability to move and to speak. I am Lady Mastermind. In the tangible world, I create illusions. In the province of the mind, my illusions become reality. I like your armor, though it's no defense against me. I'll just remove it and see what kind of psychic powerhouse the X-Men sent to rescue their pet Mentat. <laughs> It's very Chris Claremont does anime. Like the panel is basically Reagan tilting her head back and putting her hand to her mouth and going like, oh, <laughs> in that like evil lady from an anime kind of way. Yes. And then like, but like the own gay subtext to it is just like this very, very like over the top drag queen laughing at like just a Baywatch extra who's just Right. And like lifeguard's mouth is sealed over because Claremont loves a weird bondage moment. But Lifeguard has no idea, like, at this point, I think, kind of, like, kind of has an idea about what her powers are, but she is really bad at explaining them. (laughs) She's just, like, completely bad at it. Lifeguard doesn't know any of these people, also. So, like, this is when when we get Sage's backstory. This is when we see her, like, training and Xavier being like, my X-Men are heroes. You, Tessa, will be a spy. Your success will depend on your capacity to betray. And, like, it's Sage as, like, a teenager in the X-Men uniform, like, fighting a dummy or whatever. And Lifeguard's like, this is Professor Xavier? He seems like a real dick. (laughs) Yeah, Lifeguard, he is a real dick. It's just a funny... Yes. Because she's never met this man or heard of him before. She's like, wait, we're all following this guy's dream? He seems <laughs> awful. Like, this, this seems like a very weird school. What's I don't like this at all. But so, yeah, then basically what happens, and this is a pretty clever sequence, is it's like Reagan convinces Sage to shoot a dummy that's going to destroy the Sage right. aspect of herself and make her Tessa forever and yada, yada, yada. But it turns out that Lifeguard has basically turned the tables on her and Reagan ends up shooting herself in the face, which was like, oops, mistakes were made. <laughs> and then you could tell that there was just like a minute of just, or a moment of Reagan just being like, fuck, the bimbo got me. Like, fuck, <laughs> you got me, the fucking Lifeguard. <laughs> There, I think there is a part in it where she's like, she just calls her like dismissively lifeguard. The lifeguard. <laughs> the lifeguard. And so lifeguard is really pissed that Sage like dragged her into this mess and Sage is like, sorry, had no other choice, yada, yada. And then everyone's like, what did you do to Lady Mastermind? And Sage is like, oh, the bullet hit her psyche and now she's a vegetable. Oops, shouldn't have fucked with me. And it's a very much like a Sage is, it's very much like an ooh, Sage is a cold character kind of moment that is characterizing for Sage. But it leaves Lady Mastermind in a coma, not like, it's worse almost because she's like kind of awake. Mm-hmm. It's actually basically what Xavier is doing to Sabretooth right now in the pit. Right, right. And uh, she's stuck like that for a long while and doesn't pop up again until the carry run after M-Day in the Supernova's arc, which is like five years later. That's when she gets the Bachelo titty top because Bachelo's <laughs> drawing that book. It's after M-Day, 
So Cerebro suddenly finds her because instead of millions of mutants to sift through, it's like, well, there's only like 200 of them. Wait, who's this? And it's Lady Mastermind who's been in a hospital where freaks are experimenting on her because she's unconscious and like catatonic. So the X-Men save her and that's why she joins up with the X-Men, which is, you know, as good a reason as any for a former villain to join up with the team, right? Is like, Mm -hmm. well, now we're a really endangered species. Also, these people were experimenting on me while I was unconscious, so I would love to help kill them. And she joins up with Rogue's like very, I mean, and this is again, it's Rogue, right? So Rogue and Reagan have a history together, which is fun. Because she made her beat up her team. <laughs> right. She thought they were just var- multiple Vargas's. Right yeah. And so the whole time, Rogue is just like, oh, this is a, <laughs> this, a- this one's great. I'm going to read this bit. This is from one of the carry issues. Rogue goes, I'm giving you the benefit of a whole lot of doubts, Reagan. And Reagan says, so you're looking for gratitude? And Rogue says, not hardly. I just want to set a couple of things straight. One, you're only here because you got a personal stake in this. And two, you're only wearing that uniform because your own wardrobe amounted to one white sheet. But while you're wearing it, you'll behave like an X-Man. Or so help me, I will rip it off your back and you'll walk home naked. <laughs> and Reagan says, like to see you try, girl. The funny thing about it is it's the titty top. So the idea is we gave you this uniform. I'm like, they just had this lying around at the mansion. It's not like she's in one of the training uniforms, like a new mutant or whatever. Like she's in this outrageous. It looks like a Tetris piece almost like that just covers her nips. Right. And it's also, yeah, again, no body armor. None of any kind. Right. And then uh, Master of Strategist Rogue is like, <laughs> hey, you know who else would be good on this team? Mystique. And Sabretooth. This Sab- is my team. <laughs> this is, this is, you, she's like, Cyclops, you told me I could pick a team. Here is what I picked. <laughs> <laughs> How well, I chose so them. Wrong? Live with it, Sack. <laughs> You know, it's really, it's it's unbelievable. It's Cannonball, Cable, who is looking like an absolute snack in this arc, I must say. And then the dumbest set of people you could ever choose. Like, okay, Iceman, who like, that's fair, but like Iceman is a liability in a lot of situations because he's a mess, right? Right. Over the course of this mission, he ends up fucking Mystique. And it's like, Bobby, <laughs> come on. And then the rest of the team is Mystique, Sabretooth, Lady Mastermind, and Karima Shapandar, the Omega Sentinel, who is literally a Sentinel robot. Now, it's, she calls herself the Omega Sentinel. If there is one person you do not want on your team, it's someone who calls himself the Omega Sentinel. Now, Karima, to be fair, has fought against her Sentinel programming and has been a friend to the X-Men, but it is hilarious to be like, ah, uh, yes... To be my X-Men, including the Omega Sentinel. It really does. I mean, and now the funniest thing is in the current era where Karima has been overtaken by her Sentinel programming again and is working for Orcus. Mm-hmm. The second that the X-Men see Karima being evil, they're just like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, they, they don't take a... Like, they're like, oh, Karima, like, Sentinel again? Huh, okay, well, yeah, we should have seen that coming, probably. Completely checks out. Right. But I, I will say in that arc when they fight the children of the vault yes right? who have Don't also come that? back in a big way because hickman loves this carry run so it's worth going back to read it if you're not familiar if you're not familiar with reagan 
you should go back and read Supernovas at the very least, which introduces the Children of the Vault and is also the Reagan on Rogue's X-Men team arc. Yes. It's very funny. But yeah, so as you were saying, when they're fighting no, the I'm children... I'm just saying the fight scene where she just... Uh, she changed... It's kind of like... It leads into like the, like the big Marauders thing and... Oh, Fire where Complex, Reagan like... tricks the children. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> like... so the X-Men ostensibly don't kill, right? But Reagan is just like, oh, I have an idea for how to solve this. And she disguises... She, she throws up an illusion so that one of the children sees a couple of the other children as the X-Men and he burns them alive to death. <laughs> and they're like screaming and burning to death and Rogue is just like, what the fuck are you doing, Reagan? And she's like, what? And she's like, the same thing I did to you. With right, the multiple like, this is what I do. <laughs> I'm Lady Mastermind. You hired me. Like, what this were you? Why you me. <laughs> this is my whole shtick. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's, it's, it's so good. So she's good like, and it's like, I didn't kill them. He did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my god, why is it it's so much funnier talking about the ladies' mastermind when you're not reading the ladies' master like just like talking about how ridiculous it is. It's, it's like, so good. <laughs> it's just so good. I love everything they do. And then like it, it proceeds, right? And this is all building toward Messiah Complex, which is a big crossover event and is very, very good. Messiah Complex is about the first mutant baby being born after M-Day, who will grow up to be Hope Summers, who's now an important character on Krakoa as the center of the five that resurrect people. But for a long time was a character nobody knew what the fuck to do with because it seemed initially like she was supposed to be Jean Grey reincarnated and then they dropped that and then she was just kind of around. Mm -hmm. But for a long time, it was just like everybody wants to get a hold of baby Hope. That's the whole gist, right? And that's what Messiah Complex is about. And so leading into Messiah Complex, there's this moment where the Marauders, and this is, if you're a newer reader, this is the OG Marauders who work for Mr. Sinister, not the new Marauders who are Kate Pride's pirates, who she named after the evil Marauders as a reclamation. It's Don't worry about it. The point <laughs> is, Mystique and Reagan and the rest of Rogue's like herky-jerky team have just been through this whole insane story with the Hecatomb which is <laughs> yeah never revisited again because no. it was so ridiculous no the hecatomb which i guess go back to the rogue episode if you want deets on the hecatomb but basically <laughs> on the hecatomb. at one point basically at one point lady mastermind reagan gets possessed by a mama dry who has been fleeing for centuries or something through Shi'ar space with the Hecatomb chasing after it in its wake. And the Hecatomb is this like Shi'ar death weapon that absorbed the minds of 18 billion souls or whatever as part of a genocide when they use it as an experiment. So the Hecatomb is bad. This was supposed to be about Cassandra Nova, this whole storyline, but they weren't, but Carrie wasn't allowed to use Cassandra Nova because of mm -hmm. Whedon's Cassandra Nova plot, which sucked. So you know, oh well. But the Hecatomb the just made. <laughs> yeah, no, the Hecatomb steps in instead. And yeah, if you want to talk about the Whedon Cassandra Nova storyline, go back to my previous episode with Alex where we talk about Emma Frost because it's a bad storyline. But so yeah, Rogue ends up absorbing all of the minds from the Hecatomb, so she's completely fucked. She's also just been experimented on by this guy, Pandemic. Do not worry about it, who <laughs> is a supervillain. And so she has this thing called Strain 88. So, like, her touch is now completely lethal with, like, one touch. And now she has 18 billion alien minds in her head. It's not all good not for great. someone 
who we've established is not the sharpest tool. Right. Already not, you know, the gifted kid of the X-Men. And suddenly she has to contend with all these other people in her brain. So that's what's going on there. The the Mama Dry hitches a ride on Lady Mastermind for a bit, then jumps out into other people. Then Cable absorbs it. It doesn't matter. The point is, after this whole story, Rogue is all fucked up in the head, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Pandemic, by the way, gets trapped in an eternal maze illusion by Lady Mastermind because she's like, that's what you get. Because it turns out he was the one who was in charge of the experiments on her. So she's just like, oh, you can run around in a maze for the rest of eternity. I'm locking you in your own mind. Enjoy. Bye. And it's like, wow, that's dark. So after this whole thing with the Hecatomb where Rogue is still, like, lost her mind. They all go back to Rogue's home in Mississippi, where she grew up with Mystique and Destiny. And while they're there, like, recuperating, they're attacked by the Marauders, except the Marauders are invisible. And at one point... (laughs) At one point... Cannonball's like, I don't get it. Why can't we see them? And Reagan goes... No, (laughs) you have to rewind a little bit of, like, first they're like... (laughs) They give Omega Sentinel a virus, right? Like, it's like, malice. <laughs> it's malice. Omega Sentinel is typing. Omega Sentinel is checking her emails or something, and <laughs> yeah. suddenly Omega Sentinel says to herself, "Don't ever open an attachment, you know, like or whatever." And then it turns out it's Malice, the psychic marauder who possesses people, who has upgraded herself into a computer virus. This will never be explained again. And we just saw Malice recently in Excalibur, and she was not a computer virus, so don't worry about it. But it's a very funny moment because Lady Mastermind is just sitting there while this all happens. Like, oh, yeah, and seems to not notice, out. you know, like it's like, so, oh, it's like Reagan didn't notice, I guess. But then like uh, two scenes later, they're all sitting around and Logan realizes the Marauders are in the house because he can faintly smell them, even though they've been disguised somehow. And he's like, Drake, ice up to Bobby. And like Bobby tries to like turn to ice and he's like, something's interfering with my mind. And then Cannonball's like... I don't get it. Like, why can't we see the Marauders? And then Reagan, who's just been like sitting casually on the couch, goes, oh, sorry, that'd be me. And then just like snaps her fingers and the Marauders appear all around them. Because, of course, Mystique and Lady Mastermind have been working for the Marauders the entire time. Why would you ever put Lady Mastermind, like Mystique at least, is Rogue's mom. Rogue's like, you know, we've had our differences, but she's my mama. We can work together. Yeah. Lady Mastermind has never displayed any inclination toward heroism. So, yeah, obviously, if someone came along with a bigger check, you're fucked. Yeah. And, like, also in her boob shirt. Yeah, (laughs) she's just sitting in her boob shirt, snaps her fingers. I mean, I I would love to trust someone in a boob shirt, but this is not the woman to trust in her boob shirt. She... (laughs) She she just fried the children of the ball. (laughs) She just burned people alive in front of you. She trapped Pandemic in a maze in his own brain forever. It's a lot going on. Right. And then... And then Mystique just turns and shoots Rogue in the chest. (laughs) It's so good. Because they're about... One of the Marauders is about to... I think it's Scalp Hunter, now called Grey Crow, thankfully. I think it's him. Somebody turns to, like, shoot Rogue, and Mystique, like, stops him. It's like you can't shoot my daughter and then takes the gun and goes, no one can do that. But me and blasts rogue away. <laughs> and rogue yes. is like dying. 
And of course, like, uh, Reagan's flair for drama and drag, she had to drop the illusion. She just, you can't Yeah, have. no, she couldn't, <laughs> she had to snap her fingers with, like, a pithy one-liner. It's so good. And so, yeah, then she's around in Messiah Complex and Wolverine guts her with his claws, and then she disappears for a while. Reagan tries her trick again with... <laughs> And Wolverine smells her guts her, and she lets out. She lets out this scream, and then the next panel is Mystique going, "Oh, I think that's Reagan. They're here." Yeah, like, <laughs> like not concerned. It's just like, oh, that. Mm, yeah, I think that's Reagan. So, and again, what is Reagan doing? Getting like arm's length from Wolverine. I know, not <laughs> necessary. You don't need to be standing next to him. She was waiting. She wanted a reveal. She wanted to. She like, wanted a reveal. Yeah, and then she doesn't show up again until the sisterhood arc that we've already talked about, which is not very good. Meanwhile, Mystique's other like this is the thing. She just hires one of them at any given time. So around the same time, we rewind, go way back. Around the same time that Reagan is fucking with everybody in Australia. In Paris, Banshee, so this is 2000, this is Joe Casey's brief run on Uncanny X-Men before Chuck Austin took over. This is honestly a pretty underrated run on the X-Men. I think it has a lot of fun beats. It introduces Stacey X, who's a character that I think is great, but that Austin then writes directly into the ground and writes out. But as initially presented by Casey, she's a mutant sex worker who has pheromone control powers and who thinks the X-Men are fucking stupid. And she's fun as like the bitch. This is right after Moira McTaggart has been killed. We will now, of course, know that it was the golem. But at the time, everybody (laughs) believed it to be the real Moira. Banshee was real upset since he had dated Moira for many years and they had been in love and et cetera, et cetera. So Banshee, who, lest we forget, was a cop before he became a superhero and worked for Interpol and other stuff, decides to set up the X-Corps, not to be confused with X-Corp, it's X-Corps with a P-S, and it's essentially like a mutant police force thing that's pretty fascistic and bad, and he's like, (laughs) it's, it's not a great look for him. No, he also is, he also is wearing like, he has like this terrible haircut. He has, like, oh, it's like a belt. Caesar cut. It's bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He otherwise looks pretty hot. It's only like one issue where the haircut is super bad and then otherwise he looks fine. But yeah, he's like, he's all fucked up. Ah, Xavier's dream isn't working. So like, <laughs> me lucky charms and I will create peace throughout the world through strength. Like it's very like fashy and he enlists multiple man and a couple other people to help him like sort of c-listers at the time i mean now looking back that roster is pretty cool it's multiple man radius who's like an alpha flight character you don't have to worry about sunpire the <laughs> the retcon sister of sunfire whose name is Leiyu, even though she's supposed to be japanese that's a bad <laughs> character you don't have to worry about she gets killed off in this arc because they're like no we don't need this character he's press ganging supervillains like avalanche and the blob and Fever Pitch, who's just a skeleton on fire, into working for X-Corps. And the way he's doing it is that he has Martinique in a tank, basically, like a Star Wars back-to-tank type thing. And, like, her eyes and mouth are all stretched out like Clockwork Orange, and she's sort of in a coma yet again. She's, like, being forced to send pain sensations into the minds of the villains if they act up. Right. And 
it of course turns out that one of the villains they've recruited, who's the one we've never heard of before, <laughs> is Mystique. Because this is how this tends to go with Mystique. It's a similar plot in the Milligan run before the Carrie stuff we're talking about where like there's this new student at the school and she turns out to be Mystique. Like if there's a new character (laughs) who's up to no good, a lot of the time that's Raven. Right. Because that's so Raven to do that. And she had a backpack. She fooled him with a backpack. (laughs) She was this guy with electrical powers, except it was just a a taser backpack, basically. Yeah. (laughs) So she kills Sunpire very unceremoniously, and then frees Martinique. And Martinique has been sort of plotting with her the whole time, and they launch an evil scheme. And that's when Martinique is like, I hear my sister is free and doing all kinds of stuff in our name, and this, that, and the other thing. As a wink to the fact that the storylines were happening simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Mystique gets sucked into a black hole. Don't worry about it. And that storyline kind of ends. But not until after Mystique has slit banshee's throat which takes him he's done basically he only comes back for deadly genesis where he gets killed by a plane and then he's back on krakoa now i mean he got resurrected a couple times briefly and it was like not don't worry about truly banshee episode coming later this year but don't worry about banshee until then because he is a real mess banshee Banshee is my favorite hot one of the best hot himbos i love See, I don't know if I would call him a himbo because he's, like, not that nice. <laughs> he is kind of mean. But he's definitely, like, dad. He's, like, yeah. hot. In, like, Generation X. Yeah, in Gen like... X, he's super hot. And and it's like, when are these two gonna just... When are he and Emma gonna... <laughs> yeah, and then they never do. R.I.P. This arc is, is not his finest hour, but it's, it's pretty well... There's a whole subplot where Monet and Husk and Jubilee, like quote-unquote join up with x-core but it's actually because they're like seems like sean's lost his mind like we (laughs) we should keep an eye on him and see what's going on and so chamber who's on the x-men team at that point like meets up with them and it's like a whole thing but anyway after mystique gets sucked into a black hole martinique just kind of slips out the back and then pops up in the fraction run in San Francisco, this is when the X-Men are first moving to San Francisco in the plot called Manifest Destiny, which is a choice. <laughs> and Emma and Cyclops are taking a little vacation in the Savage Land, and Emma, for some reason, is friends with Shanna. The She-Double, like, yeah, why not? And she's just like, look how hot Cyclops is. <laughs> While he's like looking at two Triceratops fighting. <laughs> <laughs> and then after this like weird honeymoon they go back to san francisco right yeah because basically like the x-men have split up in the wake of messiah complex they think xavier is dead they're all pretty bummed out and they just kind of go their separate ways throughout these issues there's a whole b plot where like nightcrawler and wolverine and colossus are in <laughs> russia and it's really yes. boring <laughs> They take the worst road trip ever. Ever. To, like, go back to Colossus' hometown, and then, like, they fight Omega Red. It's really, it's dull. Also, like, again, with, like, Mystique, if, um... If you find yourself in Russia and there's something weird going on, it's probably Omega Red. It's probably Omega Red or Mikhail Rasputin. It's like one or the other, right? There's no good reason to be in Russia if you're an X-Man. Nothing good is going to come of it. And if it's nothing good, it's only two things. I know, right? It's like, so while they're being, while they're having their life force drained out by Omega Red's carbonadium tentacles or whatever the fuck that is all about. I'm not a big Omega Red head, if I'm being perfectly honest. 
Meanwhile, San Francisco has been transformed into a hippie paradise by someone called the goddess. It turns out that it's Martinique because when M Day happened, as like a telepath, she just got overwhelmed by like the psychic distress of all of the depowered mutants and went to Amnesiac. She happened to already be in San Francisco and she was just like wandering around Amnesiac in her Talia Al Ghul cat suit from back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, then she like synced up with these old hippies who were like, back in my day, like it was beautiful here. And she creates this paradise, this like 60s flower child paradise, and it starts spreading outward until the whole city basically is consumed. And Emma and Scott show up and have to fight the X-Men who've been turned into like hippie versions of themselves. It's funny because they all have new code names except for Angel, who's still called Angel. And that's like a joke that hits after like three people have introduced themselves as like, you know, kitten girl or whatever. And like, it's like, and Angel. And they're like, Angel still? But also she makes everyone super hot. Yeah. Oh, everybody is crazy hot. Yeah. It's also like kind of like you wonder like what these writers thought of what San Francisco was like, because she just gets like... Like these ugly old hippies find her and she just is like, here, this is so much better. And she makes them super hot. Like yeah. this ugly old hippie named Eli or something. Yeah. And then she's fucking him. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird. It's a weird little arc, but it's real stupid and fun. It's a fun read. Emma ends up turning herself and Scott into hippies like telepathically with her own kind of little illusion so that they blend in. And she's just like, oh, we look so awful. And Scott is like, I kind of like it. (laughs) And is like feeling himself. And they end up, you know, knocking everybody back to their senses, including one of the hippies who turns out to be the mayor of San Francisco. And she invites the X-Men to stay. And that's where that's why the X-Men set up shop in San Francisco, which begins that era, which then leads into the Utopia era, which then leads into Avengers versus X-Men and all of that. Oof. Yeah. Martinique slips out the back again. They're very good <laughs> at that, right? I mean, I guess they do have illusions, right? And so that, and that's when she gets recruited by the Red Queen to join the Sisterhood. Mm-hmm. That whole arc, by the way, is Ed Brubaker. It's the end of the Ed Brubaker run. And... As I've said, I'm not crazy about Brubaker X-Men. That is a fun arc just because it's very silly. And so there's something sort of enjoyable there. It unfortunately leads into Sisterhood by Matt Fraction, which is an arc I've talked about on this podcast a lot because it really assassinates the shit out of Madeline Pryor's character. The important thing is there are a couple hints throughout the arc, but it's never explicitly said, but it is sort of the the actual deal, and Fraction confirmed this in an interview, that the Madeline Pryor in the Sisterhood arc is actually the evil Jean Grey from the end of X-Man who replaced Madeline in that story and stole her psychic essence in her body. Don't worry about it. It's truly not important. But the point is, someday the real Madeline will come face to face with the mastermind sisters and they'll be like, Oh my God, my queen, it's you. And she'll be like, I don't know who you are. And that will be funny. Completely funny. It's like three drag queens going for it. Yeah. Just like, I don't know who you are at all. So we kind of just gave you the Cerebro character file, but I think it's probably a good time to pause for the Cerebro character file on Reagan and Martinique Wingard. We'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. 
Reagan and Martinique Wingard, better known respectively as Lady Mastermind and the Second Mastermind, but often collectively called the Ladies Mastermind or the Mastermind Twins, note they are not actually twins, are a pair of villainous half-sisters who've served as recurring and amusing thorns in the side of the X-Men. Reagan, who was only created due to an oversight by editorial, became the more prominent of the two characters after she briefly joined, and then betrayed, the X-Men in Mike Carey's celebrated Decimation-era run. Created by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, the second mastermind, a seductive brunette who resembles the Batman character Talia al Ghul, first appears in the 1995 miniseries Wolverine and Gambit Victims, where she poses as an Interpol agent named Martinique Jason. She meets Logan and Remy in London, where they're investigating a series of Jack the Ripper-style murders of local women, including a police detective Remy used to have a flirtation with. The killings point to Wolverine as the killer, but it all turns out to be an evil scheme launched by the villain Arcade, with whom Martinique, who calls herself Mastermind, declaring she is her father's heir, is in cahoots. While Jason Wingard's illusions were powerful, he needed the help of Emma Frost's telepathy and technology to make them real and personal enough to create Dark Phoenix. His daughter has no such limitation, as she is also a low-level telepath herself. Martinique is furious when she discovers Arcade lied to her. He told her Wolverine had murdered his assistant and lover, Miss Locke, but in fact Arcade killed her himself when a kinky game in Murder World went too far. As her only motivation in harming the X-Men was a sort of feminist desire to see Miss Locke avenged, Martinique turns on Arcade instead, locking him in his own mind and seizing his assets. She reappears a year later in Daredevil 352 by Ben Robb and Sean McManus, still calling herself Martinique Jason. Here she menaces Daredevil's friend Foggy Nelson with an experimental murder world testing facility on Coney Island. She next makes a one-panel cameo in 2001's Cable 87 by Robert Weinberg and Michael Ryan, where she's part of Mystique's latest incarnation of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and attempts to assassinate Senator Robert Kelly, because I guess Mystique is playing her classic hits. Here's where the funny part happens. Later that year, Joe Casey plans out an arc with Martinique for his run on Uncanny X-Men. At the same time, Chris Claremont plans out an arc with Martinique for his new book, Extreme X-Men. Editorial doesn't catch this in time, resulting in a conundrum. Martinique can't be in two places at once, particularly because Casey's arc involves her being imprisoned in Paris, and Claremont's arc involves her working for Sebastian Shaw in Australia. Claremont's solution was to create a new character for his arc, which began first. A blonde named Reagan Wingard, who calls herself Lady Mastermind. The introduction of Reagan, I should note, has always made me wonder if Martinique was born Goneril Wingard and just decided to make up something prettier. In any case, Reagan, created by Chris Claremont and Salvador LaRocca, would over time become the more prominent of the two characters. Sebastian Shaw hires Reagan to attack Sage, formerly known as Tessa, who served for years as Shaw's personal aide while secretly acting as a spy for Charles Xavier. Reagan invades Sage's mind while the Extreme X-Men team are in Australia isolating Sage's most traumatic memories and forcing her to relive them over and over in an illusory dreamscape. Sage's psychic defenses allow her to get the upper hand on Reagan at first, but after Shaw captures her, Reagan is able to fine-tune her technique until she has Sage deep in a hell of her own making, the better to brainwash Sage into becoming fully loyal to Shaw. Reagan battles one of Sage's teammates, Rogue, and her brains are more than a match for Rogue's well-meaning brawn. It's ultimately new recruit Lifeguard who rescues Sage, entering Sage's psyche and reflecting the full strength of Reagan's powers back at her. The psychic trauma leaves Reagan in a vegetative coma. Meanwhile, in Joe Casey's Uncanny X-Men, Martinique is rescued from prison by Jamie Madrox the Multiple Man, who's acting on behalf of former X-Man Sean Cassidy, codenamed Banshee. 
Enraged by the death of his great love Moira McTaggart, Sean has decided to return to his roots in law enforcement and forms the X-Corps, an independent mutant police force. To prove that human mutant unity is possible, he impresses several mutant supervillains into his service, secretly keeping them in line through the psychic manipulations of Martinique, whom he keeps trapped in a machine to serve this purpose. Martinique eventually makes telepathic contact with Mystique, who has infiltrated the X-Corps, and after Mystique breaks her loose, the two supervillainesses launch acts of terrorism across Paris. Martinique expresses dismay that she's been trapped while her half-sister is free to carry out mischief in the mastermind name, and vows to lay full claim to the legacy herself. After Mystique is sucked into a black hole, don't worry about it, Martinique quietly slips away. Four years later, after the decimation has reduced the mutant population to roughly 200 people, Reagan returns in Mike Carey's first arc on X-Men, Supernovas. Though she's still in a coma after the events of Extreme X-Men, Reagan is one of the rare mutants to retain her gifts, and she's been appropriated for unethical medical experiments. The X-Men detect her using Cerebro, and manage to rescue both her and another test subject, the human-turned-sentinel robot Kurima Shapandar. Don't worry about it right now. Reagan remains comatose, but when the mansion is attacked by the new villains called the Children of the Vault, the child named Serafina manages to biohack Reagan's body and use her powers to menace the heroes. Serafina's violation bolts Reagan awake, and she decides she's keen on revenge, on Serafina and also on the mysterious Pan, the scientist who experimented on her while she was vulnerable. To pursue her vengeance, Reagan joins up with Rogue's new team of misfit X-Men. She proves essential to defeating the Children of the Vault, but causes controversy when she uses her illusions to trick one of the children into slaughtering his allies, violating the X-Men's policy against killing their enemies. Reagan and Rogue bicker as they continue to work together, and when Rogue is kidnapped by Pan, actually the villain Pandemic, aka Dr. Richard Palance, an old colleague of Charles Xavier's, Reagan again is essential to the rescue mission. Something strange happens in the process, though. An energy bolt blasts from Reagan's head and attacks one of the guards. Deciding to worry about this later, Reagan continues her quest for revenge on Pandemic, eventually trapping him in an endless maze inside his own mind. Rogue's in really bad shape after Pandemic's experimentation on her, so Cable takes them to his island headquarters, Providence. Reagan explores Providence's psychiatric ward to see what's up with her headaches and those weird energy blasts. Hypnotherapy unlocks Reagan's access to her own mind, and she realizes she's been invaded by a parasite, a being called a Mama Dry, the anti-self, which has come to Earth to warn of the coming of the Hecatomb. Don't worry about it. It's a scary Shi'ar superweapon. The X-Men are no match for the Hecatomb, but Reagan's illusions are powerful enough to slow it down. When that fails to stop it, she decides to run away. Rogue defeats the Hecatomb by absorbing its consciousness into her own, which leaves her in an even worse state than before. The team travels to Rogue's childhood home in Mississippi to recuperate, and there it turns out Reagan and Mystique are actually double agents. When the X-Men have their guard down, Reagan drops an illusion, revealing that Mr. Sinister's marauders are already in the room. The marauders defeat the X-Men and capture Rogue, and Reagan departs with them. She returns as one of their number in the ensuing franchise-wide event, Messiah Complex, where the X-Men and the Marauders are two of the parties fighting over Baby Hope, the first mutant baby born after the decimation. By this point, Wolverine is familiar enough with Reagan's illusions to locate her and impale her with his claws, leaving her for dead. After Messiah Complex, the X-Men split up for a time and go their separate ways. Under writer Ed Brubaker in Uncanny X-Men, they're startled to discover that the city of San Francisco has been trapped in a wide-spectrum illusion that transforms into a 60s flower-child hippie paradise and alters the minds of anyone who enters the illusion's range. Emma Frost and Cyclops battle brainwashed hippie X-Men and find the source of the anomaly, Martinique Jason, who kept her powers after the decimation but was rendered amnesiac by the telepathic stress of so many depowered mutants crying out in despair. She was found by aging hippies and became their goddess, reshaping the world to be happy with them. 
After she's defeated and regains her memories, Martinique again slips away. She's beckoned into the shadows by a mysterious woman who says she's building a sisterhood. This leads into the Matt Fraction run on Uncanny X-Men and the arc called Sisterhood. For the first time, Martinique and Reagan come together on the page when the Sisterhood of Mutants, led by the Red Queen, the psychic ghost of an evil Jean Grey from an alternate Earth, who consumed and began impersonating Madeline Pryor back in the 90s series X-Man, do not worry about it, approach Reagan at Jason Wingard's grave. There's clearly no love loss between the half-sisters, but Martinique assures Reagan that the Red Queen can bring their father back from the dead. They aid the Red Queen in her plot to resurrect herself in the presently deceased body of Earth-616's Jean Grey, and are annoyed when the Red Queen leaves them behind as bait for the X-Men. They get their asses kicked pretty hard before they're rescued by their teammate Spiral and teleported away. The Sisterhood then disbands after the Red Queen is tricked and destroyed by Cyclops and Domino. The Ladies Mastermind return the following year in 2010's Pixie Strikes Back, a miniseries by writer Catherine Immonen and artist Sarah Pacelli. Now living together in their father's old estate, Reagan and Martinique, who now identifies herself as Martinique Wingard, have remained a double act despite their loathing for each other. They're visited by a strange woman, a fairy with pink hair, who tells them she's looking for her daughter. She reveals that the young X-Man Megan Gwynn, codenamed Pixie, is actually the third illegitimate daughter of Jason Wingard. Reagan and Martinique aren't keen on helping to rescue Pixie, but the fairy Mrs. Gwynn butters them up until they tag along. Combining their powers with their younger sisters, they manage to save the day and stop a demonic invasion. When the X-Men aim to apprehend the Ladies' Mastermind, Pixie thanks them for their help by teleporting them to safety. Three years later, in 2013, the sisters turn up again in different stories, each somehow having been imprisoned in the interim. Martinique makes a brief cameo in Frank Thierry's Cable and X-Force, where she's a prisoner at a facility for superhuman criminals, and Hope Summers, the baby from Messiah Complex, now an adult, don't worry about it, uses her ability of power mimicry to copy Martinique's power of illusion and use it to trick the Avengers. This was Martinique's last appearance until 2021. Reagan, meanwhile, appears in Brian Michael Bendis's all-new X-Men as a prisoner at The Raft, the maximum security prison for the most dangerous superhuman criminals in the Marvel Universe. She's broken out by Mystique, who enlists her to implicate the X-Men in a series of large-scale bank robberies and other financial crimes. It turns out Mystique is trying to buy the island nation of Madripoor. When Reagan comes face-to-face -face with the X-Men, including a time-displaced teenage Jean Grey, she sees an opportunity to get revenge for her father. In her own twisted interpretation of events, Mastermind was a victim driven insane by Dark Phoenix, which allegedly ruined the Wingard family. Reagan manipulates Jean, but is ultimately defeated and knocked out by Kitty Pride. She must have slipped away somehow, though, because she returns the following year in Amazing X-Men 13, a fill-in issue by James Tynan IV. Here she practices her illusions by torturing the X-Men's young student, Anole, but is discovered by Nightcrawler and defeated. We don't talk about Inhumans vs. X-Men on this podcast, but Reagan does pop up in a story by Rex Ogle and Andrea Bricardo in all-new X-Men Annual No. 1, where she's terminally ill with M-Pox and tries to goad Danny Moonstar into killing her. Danny manages to talk her down and get her stabilized, and Reagan eventually recovers from M-Pox when everybody else does. I don't know. Don't worry about it. In the 2019 soft reboot House of X and Powers of Ten by Jonathan Hickman, Reagan is one of many villains who accept an offer of amnesty to become citizens of the new mutant sovereign nation on the living island Krakoa. She returns in 2020's giant size X-Men Nightcrawler by Hickman and artist Alan Davis, where she's held captive by a colony of Sidri aliens in the ruins of the X-Mansion, and has her powers employed by the creatures to manipulate any who attempt to enter. She's rescued by a small team led by Nightcrawler. Reagan then appears in the tie-in miniseries Empire X-Men, where she's one of many telepaths who are called in for backup when Genosha is overrun by zombies. Notably, her father Jason, apparently resurrected by the Five, is also part of this team, 
even though historically he does not have telepathic powers of his own without the help of technology. This is the first time Reagan and her father appear on panel together, but they have no dialogue in this story. Martinique finally reappears in 2021's Hellions 10 by Zeb Wells and Steven Segovia, where it's revealed she's being held captive by her old enemy Arcade in order to blackmail her father. As Mastermind does indeed agree to participate in Arcade's scheme, it seems he does have genuine affection for Martinique. What will become of the ladies' Mastermind next remains to be seen, but their half-sister Pixie is about to star in the new series Way of X by Cy Spurrier and Bob Quinn, where she will assist Nightcrawler as he roots out the darkness lurking in Krakoa's new society. It would be fun if her big sister showed up to help. X-Men, X-Men. And we're back. Did you miss us? This episode is a little silly because these characters are a little silly and because I enjoy just having a giggle with Alex. So if you're just, I don't know, along for the ride, if weed is legal where you are, maybe just like pop an edible or something, <laughs> have a cocktail. Or if you're sober, just vibe on the good energies of the mm -hmm. ladies mastermind mm -hmm. they're high on life there's a funny repeated kind of beat with reagan where she and kurt are always sort of crossing paths <laughs> like it happens in it happens early on and then it happens in pixie strikes back and then it happens in um she pops up in amazing x-men the series where he comes back to life in this like it's a fill-in issue by james tynan right amazing x-men 13 where she there's this little gay lizard x-man called anol <laughs> yes. well no she basically is like i need to make my illusions even better because like i, I guess, need like, some practice like jean gray negged her and apparently right teen jean gray like completely like made her feel insecure so yeah and it's just like uh they have like that battle and it's just like your illusions stuck and it's like my, no they don't and he's like and then teen jean is like your illusions suck because mine are better and watch and she's just like i can make you feel really bad because i can like inflict some kind of psychic trauma on you and bring out in a very gene way in a like, very gene way like that's classic gene <laughs> so later on in amazing x-men which is the series where nightcrawler comes back to life don't worry about it they go to heaven and find if really truly don't worry about it but yeah she's like i need to practice and push myself to make my illusions even better in case I run into that little brat again. <laughs> so there's this little gay lizard X-Man called a Knoll, who I gotta be honest, I'm not like a fan of this character. I think just because I keep thinking about him molting. <laughs> like he has to shed his skin, right? I just find the concept of that really distressing. He has he's like- also, He's like also perpetual. He's just kind of like, I don't know. Like, is there? There's nothing. There's nothing. He. I. I'm like indifferent. I'm. He I'm just is always whining. I don't know. There's like something off-putting. I'm like, he's like, oh, no one will ever love me because I'm, you know, because I'm like green and a lizard. And it's like you just like Nightcrawler does fine. You're just like a. You're green and scaly. Like it's not that yeah. big a deal. Now, and it's of very, course, like teen boy X Men. Yeah, but then of course, like I'm a hypocrite because I was just saying how gross I find him because he's scaly. So like, who am I to <laughs> you know? Maybe he's right. But, like, his big angst is that his arm gets chopped off at one point and he grows a new arm and the new arm is, like, bigger and has, like, a big claw on it. And he's like, I'm hideous! It's like, you have a big claw! It's fine. Like, what? You just got buff. 
you it's like not you that already, serious you already look like he has like a giant popeye arm right yeah but it's like you got really buff on one side <laughs> frankly cut the other one off be symmetrical <laughs> then you would just have huge buff arms in the gay community there's a lot of cachet to that yeah just one big arm he has like a spiky scaly head and i just always think of like his skin molting and like him having just like the worst dandruff of all time it's just like i I do have trouble getting that out of my head anyway the point is he's going on a date and he's like oh no like the guy on the date he won't like me because he'll see that i'm a lizard and it's like you didn't tell him you were a lizard up front because i feel like that would come up on the apps right like i just you think it was just like a torso like a yeah, very but it was like a tube. green torso <laughs> like, you'd think you'd have to you know but anyway i digress so reagan is like wow this kid's insecure what a perfect guinea pig <laughs> and she traps him in an illusion about his fears of rejection and all of that and she's having a good time she really gets off on people suffering She's very Chris Claremont villainess in that way. Like she's just like, ah, ha, ha, I love watching people suffer. She's like, look what I learned from Jean Grey. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, it really it does all kind of. Anyway, Nightcrawler basically knocks it all out, and she gets knocked unconscious by Anol this time, and she's just unconscious again for the millionth time. <laughs> and then she pops up though. This is kind of fun. Like a part of me thinks that she and Nightcrawler are like secretly meant to be because. Then in Age of X-Men, when Nightcrawler is in this fantasy world where he's a famous actor, he's constantly crossing paths with Reagan because she's the head of Mastermind Studios. <laughs> and is like this film exec, which is very funny as an idea. Fantastic. I actually think she would be great on X-Corp. Oh, yeah. Like her and Monet would be really funny. Yes, they'd be really, really funny together. Yeah, because, like, Mooney would hate Lady Mastermind. <laughs> but, like, they, <laughs> but, like, they would also, it would just, like, Lady Mastermind is exactly the kind of, like, cutthroat business gal who I think would do well in those, uh, in those high-powered meetings. I just right. feel like she's got to show up somewhere because mm-hmm. Hickman loves that run and like made such a point of Kurt rescuing her from the Sidri in Giant Size X the Nightcrawler that I feel like she has to I mean she maybe she'll be in Way of X with Kurt I mean that would be fun also yeah I mean I do I do love like her playing off other characters like Kurt being very religious well because Kurt's such like an upstanding like religious like good guy and she's just like an evil slut like that's her whole (laughs) vibe like she's just like hello I'm evil and naked at all times like so evil I mean can we talk about my favorite run-ins or her and Emma Frost yeah (laughs) because you can tell that like she is exactly if Emma wasn't concerned with appearances at all, she would be Lady Mastermind. Like, that's the thing that's fun about them, right? Like, Emma's smarter than Lady Mastermind and also cares about, like, she doesn't care about, like, looking slutty or whatever. Like, Emma enjoys showing off her body in the same way that Reagan does, which is why when Bachelor just put Emma in Reagan's outfit in Bendis Uncanny, I was kind of like, it's not that it's out of character, it's just lazy, right? But... I mean, they just have that uniform hanging around. Yeah, I guess. I mean, apparently Rogue just gave it to her when they got her out of the hospital. So I guess it was just just around. But yeah, no. So uh, it does feel always like there but for the grace of God go Emma Frost. Like every time they cross paths, she's just like, this is 
and it's it goes back to what Emma says about like breeding, darling, top class breeding. Like Emma thinks of herself as from this rarefied background and like won't really get in the muck in the same way. Whereas like Lady Mastermind is like the bastard daughter of this creepy rapist supervillain and like has no compunct like she's very much like I am the heir to the Wingard name. It's like the Wingard name. First of all, he made that up. <laughs> so like, so like, is it like? I'm trying to think. Do you think it's like old money, new money? Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Because Emma and Mastermind in the original, in Dark Phoenix, when Emma's introduced back in 1980, the mm-hmm. whole bit is that Mastermind is desperately trying to get into the Hellfire Club. <laughs> he doesn't have the cachet to just get in. So he has to do something for them and like deliver Jean Grey to them as a weapon. But it's exactly that old money, new money. Like, like Emma, I was like, ill, I know your dad. I like, I knew your disgusting. dad, and he was disgusting, <laughs> fully disgusting. Emma knew him well. In that Andersenti classic X Men backup, they like play telepathic chess together. Like she knew that guy. She was in his head. She does not like. He's gross, and it's like, oh, he has a bimbo daughter. Oh, two. I'm sorry, there are two of you. <laughs> She she very much hates Rick more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Martinique hasn't popped up enough, really, for like Emma to long term hate her. But Reagan just keeps. She's like a bad penny. Like she just always pops back up, and it is very much like Emma, but nouveau riche, and mm-hmm. Emma finds it so tacky and off putting. Like she's just like, why is this person in my face? Why yeah. does she exist? Why, Why am I being Sebastian subjected Shaw to her company? Talking, talking to her? Why I know. Well, like it's like, company? wow, how the mighty have fallen, Sebastian. <laughs> like, your pet telepath now is Lady Mastermind? <laughs> wow. Like, way to downgrade your blonde telepaths. And she's basically, every time she sees her, she's just like, that top makes you look terrible. <laughs> well, which is why it was annoying to me when they had Emma wear it. Because previously she had always been like, what are you wearing? <laughs> it's like they all show up at the scene. It's basically like, oh my God, like, it's like Aurora breaks down the glass. It's like, X- you called the X-Men what? You and excuse Emma's like, me? Emma's first words are always like, you look terrible. You look terrible. <laughs> like that outfit is bad. I mean, I guess when Emma wore the similar top, she like put a cape on over it. She had yeah, a cape or like a jacket. Yeah, it was like a jackety, capey thing, and she had shoulder pads. But I mean, it's not any more like Lady Mastermind is not any less covered up than Emma was in New X Men. <laughs> right. It's just like Emma in New X Men had an aesthetic. Like there was a fashion angle to it. It felt like it like made the X shape. It was doing like a whole thing. This is just sort of like you bought this on Melrose. <laughs> yes. It's very store bought. She wants, she wants, uh, Emma wants point of view. She wants some yeah, kind of Emma, point Emma's of view. Yeah, Emma's like, I want you to bring me, like, a, a direction, a vision. Like, what is this collection about? If she's, like, judging the Wingard sisters on Project Runway. <laughs> yeah. she's like, it's cohesive, but I'm not getting anything out of it, right? I love their really big chokers, though, that they wear. Right. It, they just have these big... It's a little bit Maddie Pryor-esque, actually. It's like this huge brooch that they just wear sort of at their throat, and then they're just nude, apart from, like, the the nipple covers. (laughs) And, like, some artists really truly... Like, we've mentioned Sarah Pacelli makes their boobs enormous, but Humberto Ramos also 
in uh, the Carrie run, like she just looks like it's outrageous. There's a <laughs> Sylvester issue also where she just looks it. It's truly like larger than like larger than life in the sense that her breasts are larger than a beach ball. <laughs> and there's something again, like, well, it's like the whole, ri- it's like ridiculous because it's just like, could you imagine like a live action, like a live action X-Men and having like the final battle. and then the- <laughs> It's so parodic that it's not even like sexy necessarily. You know yeah. what I mean? Like in superhero comics where women are already so sexualized Lady Mastermind takes it to a level where it's no longer erotic. It's just, like, absurd. (laughs) It becomes humor. Yes. There's something very self-consciously funny about that. And so whenever she turns up, there's a great bit in the Bendis story where Mystique is like, what do you want to be called, Reagan? Still Lady Mastermind? (laughs) And she goes, what's wrong with Lady Mastermind? And Mystique's like, I don't know. It seems kind of sexist. They didn't call your father Dude Mastermind. Reagan's like, yeah, I know. It does kind of rub me the wrong way. And they're just sort of having a conversation about sexism. But she's standing there in the most absurd outfit. Yeah, and they're about to get shot. Oh, yeah. No, it's just like this casual combo that they're having. What would you like to see for these characters in the future where would you take the ladies mastermind if you could i mean i was telling you this i think i i I love your idea of like x-corp but like also like wouldn't it be fun and i think to just see them kind of like be spies (laughs) it would be funny at least because they're not (laughs) subtle right (laughs) but like something that they like I think the problem with them is that they're always bad guys, right? And they're always, like, in this, like, it's always, like, this giant battle. And then it's just, like, after the illusion stops, what happens? And it's just, like, well, they always get knocked out or, like, slip out the back or are in a coma. Yeah, just waiting to be used by another writer at some point if there's ever a plot that needs a lady mastermind. And it's very, like, one-trick pony. But, like, I think something, like, okay, well, like, the lady's mastermind open up a spy agency and decide to do some silly (laughs) spy espionage where they could use their illusions to figure, to like interrogate, to like figure out, like, I don't know, to do some find new outfits. I'm not sure what I want them to do, but like something like that, what I think where like, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a like drawn out battle. I'm reminded of in the Dazzler episode, Evan Narcisse pointed out that because she can absorb sound, Dazzler would be a really great stealth operative. And now I'm actually thinking about it. And I would love a story about the Mastermind sisters and Dazzler doing some kind of spy operation. Like maybe they form an agency called like Mastermind. And it's like, we are like, the, we are the intellect that will like solve your problems. And they like hire Dazzler to do an espionage mission or something. Right. But and it just it's... all goes horrendously wrong. <laughs> well, Emma, it would involve Emma going to the office and being like, this is very day class A. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, who, like it's, it's all probably all black leather. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, just, like, she's just like, this is, up. yeah, there's just like. She's like, huh, mm, nice couch. You know, like, it's very that. <laughs> She's like, why is your fridge so big? None of you eat. <laughs> yeah, and it's all, like, black leather furniture from Bob's Discount Furniture. 
Which, like, I, I say that because I once had a black leather couch from Bob's Discount Furniture that I liked very much. It was fake leather, obviously. But but, but give, give me anything that isn't just, like, a full-out battle, and then I think you could have a lot of fun. I think, honestly, that the Shauna McGuire Nightcrawler Age of X-Men story was a great example of, like, how you can do that. Like, Lady Mastermind, in particular, Reagan should just be a social character. Like, she's someone who should be in the intrigue, in the mix, doing weird schemes. You don't need to have battles because, yeah, when they're face-to-face with an X-Man, they usually get their shit rocked because they don't have any offensive or defensive powers besides their illusions. This is why Mastermind was not a good villain to begin with, their dad. They always always love dropping the illusions and just like, right like for drama this? always as a reveal it's like don't reveal just keep the illusion going but they feel the need it's like they are they are bond villainesses in that very specific yes. way where they like they need to monologue about their yes. plans or they need to snap their fingers and reveal that all was an illusion for i am lady mastermind it's like honey you were doing great yeah. Just keep doing it. Give give Omega Sentinel another little virus. <laughs> God, that's funny. That is a funny idea. Um, but uh also like uh, like do some blackmail. Let him do blackmailing. Like there's a whole UN. Let let the ladies mastermind do some blackmailing. It's and true. Some kind of kinky blackmailing. It's true. I gotta say, I there was a part of me that because again, I know that Hickman loves the carry run, that thought maybe Lady Mastermind would be on the X Men team, mm-hmm. the one that just got unveiled. Right. It turned out that it was actually Jerry Duggan writing. So a lot of my like, which characters does Hickman like thought processes kind of went out. The, you know, that was all the speculation I was doing for months beforehand. I am still sad Dazzler's not on the team because I feel like if you're doing a popular vote, Dazzler is a real shoe-in. But it's possible that the popular vote was only to pick the one Mm -hmm. team member that ended up being Polaris. Which, like... So, (laughs) I'm of two minds. Like, I'm bummed because I love how Leah Williams is writing Polaris in X Factor and I don't really want her to leave. Right. On the other hand, Polaris is a great character who has never really been given an opportunity to shine. And I think that Duggan will write her well. So I'm intrigued to see what happens. But there are just a lot of other options who were on that list that I think would have been more interesting choices. Honestly, like I think Banshee would have been a really interesting choice in this era where Moira is so significant to the world and to the cosmology because he doesn't know the truth about her yet. Right. And that would be an interesting thing to explore. He would be very upset. Yeah. He might start off a splinter force. (laughs) When she quote unquote died, he went so crazy he turned fash for the arc with Martinique (laughs) that we were talking about. So. Yeah. When he finds out, he's going to be like Reagan Martinique. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) Lassies come to me. But I mean, my vote was for Tempo, obviously. I've gone into detail about why I thought she would be. But here's the really cool thing. When they released the rankings and it turned out that Tempo placed fifth, that's crazy. That's ex-Twitter, baby. Because that's not, like, that character has not been used really in 30 years. Right. There were a lot of, like, grassroots efforts, particularly from Black fans who were like, this character has been underserved. And I think it got a lot of momentum going. You had people like Fabian Nuciesa, who had written her big arc back then, be like, oh, this character's great. I never got to do what I wanted to do with her. She's almost certainly going to pop up somewhere now, right? Which is great. Yeah, and she also just has, like, a 
like the ladies mastermind has a really cool power set and she has a cool yeah helmet. it's just fun and also like the ladies mastermind she has a distinctive outfit like no one else has a weird bullet head <laughs> they just don't i i see you know i love the bullet head i don't know if i like the spikes as much the little no like... i prefer when she has like a rounded bullet head yeah and it just looks like a bullet i'm glad we agree yeah I mean, I get, I think the spike helmet that they're going with now, I think they're going for like a rocketeer kind of vibe, which I get, right. but I, I prefer, I prefer just a straight up bullet bucket kind of look on her. Oh, you know what I want? I want the ladies mastermind to fuck with the Avengers. The oh, that Aven- would be fun. Why not? The, the Avengers versus the ladies mastermind. <laughs> I mean, I feel like they should fuck with Wanda at some point. Don't you? Cause I feel like they could really give Wanda a taste of her own medicine. Right. And they both well, got really fucked with by M-Day. So they have reason to want to. And they both had to, well, I'm assuming, I, I know Reagan on panel, but like the whole entire Empire storyline is because Wanda was Well, like, yeah, right. I felt bad for, for <laughs> fucking over the mutants. Let's bring them all back. Oops, there's zombies. Oops, I made zombies. <laughs> Look, I honestly, I... I've said this before, and this is a good digression with Way of X coming tomorrow. I do think there was all this controversy because Way of X shows shows in previews that the young mutants of Krakoa have turned Wanda into like a slur. Like they'd say like, don't be such a Wanda. And like the Wanda fans were really <laughs> annoyed about it. Or like Psy unveiled like a song that Exodus is presumably teaching the children, like to the tune of Sing a Song of Sixpence. It's all about like the evil pretender. And people were yeah. like, enough already, Exodus. It's like, guys, it's going somewhere, right? Like there's a yeah. plot here. I have to assume that there's a plot here. Cy Spurrier is not that kind of writer, right? Like he's not just doing it for shock value. Like there is a plot. And it's not necessarily the Exodus who is, <laughs> who is evil. Fa- a fancy boy, uh, one of my fancy evil boys that I love. You don't have to like, like he's right? Not you correct. don't have to agree with Exodus. This is what I don't get about a lot he's, of like fan he's reactions. Not, he's not like the person you want to hitch your moral compass to. Like, right. it's like, like it's supposed to be like this awful supervillain is teaching kids about Wanda through this lens. Of, yes, like. Uh, like mm. Hmm, it's not supposed to be like, yeah, she fucking sucks if you're an X-Man. I mean, yeah, I'm not a Wanda fan. Let's be clear. (laughs) However, all of the, ooh, the pretender, the pretender. Like, that's literally Benedupari Exodus, who is evil as hell, leading a cult. A cult that's influencing children. (laughs) We're not supposed to think that's good. And I have to imagine that part of Way of X is going to be Kurt pushing back on that, right? Because Kurt also knows Wanda pretty well. In an alternate timeline, they had a child. There's history between those characters. I think it's going to be interesting. I think that Empire, to bring it back around, shows that Hickman is interested in rehabilitating that character. And she needs it because there have been so many stops and starts with her where it's like, oh, Wanda feels remorse. And then the next story is like, actually, Wanda thinks the mutants can sit and spin. It like never <laughs> sticks, right? And we need a storyline where it actually sticks. And, and then when Wanda is going through her farmer's market one day, the cock destroyers show up. Right. And then suddenly, <laughs> suddenly it's like, oh, hello, Wanda. We're the ladies mastermind. I would. You fuck now, girly. (laughs) 
I would pay so much for that comic book. It would, just, like, it would be good. It would be good. Just like Wanda versus the ladies mastermind. And she's just like, who are you people? What is going on here? And like we rope in Quicksilver and she's like, twins versus twins. And ladies mastermind are like, we're not actually twins. <laughs> I also uh, think that Way of X would be a good place for them, obviously, because Pixie's going to be a major character in it. And right. they haven't interacted with her outside of Pixie Strikes Back. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But they're just westling. I mean, they're just wrestling at the estate. I'm sure they've established an estate at Krakoa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As soon as Martinique gets out of Murder World, which I'm sure she will at the end of this arc of Hellions, they'll just go back to... Uh... I mean, I want to see them interact with their horrible dad now that he's alive again. Right. And is actually trying to save one of them. Yeah, I, it was interesting because I... Like, Martinique historically was always the one who seemed to care more about him. So it makes sense that you would if you're going to have one of them be the one held hostage, like a, she has the history with arcade, but also the implications they had a closer relationship. Whereas it doesn't seem like Reagan ever knew him mm -hmm. particularly since he hit on her that one time. Right. And I want to see the Hellions or I want to see just like Psylocke. Well, I don't know how that works with continuity. Just like show up and be like, fuck another lady mastermind <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't like. Well, I it's complicated. I, I, I will say I might not be. I got to. I, I I don't know how far behind I am on Hellions, but I did get to the the Mastermind arc. That's the most recent issue. Is that we find out Mastermind is helping Arcade because Martinique is being held captive by Arcade. Right, and it's like uh, that's the one with like Alex and BDSM, right? Yeah, and like Kanon is menaced by like a yokai Betsy in her outfit, and it's like a whole thing. Yeah, right. Because of the gala, everybody's got a skip month, and so it was just Hellions skip month. So Hellions is coming soon, but we had it's been a while since the right. last issue. Like I, I just need that panel when Stella just shuts up. It's like, <laughs> ah, oh, it's <again."> you. <laughs> And, and just be like, where's your fucking twin? Where's the twin? Well, and it's like, because <laughs> Kana never met them, but in the sisterhood arc, there's like a weird right. moment where it seems like Kanon's spirit has been twisted by the Red Queen, and it's like a whole complicated thing. Right. It's never explicitly said to be Kanon, but either way, I just feel like a Kanon Lady Mastermind moment would be, because the thing about Kanon is that she has no time for any nonsense <laughs> and the ladies mastermind are nothing but nonsense at all times like that's all yeah. they do is cause mischief and have their boobs out yeah like on their google calendar like they have a block from like 12 to 6 p.m which is just nonsense yeah nonsense <laughs> goes here it's like psychosexual torture lunch nonsense <laughs> that's sort of like what they do in 15 minutes of sister wrestling <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God, it's so good. I think that the term the ladies mastermind, like as a plural, comes out of X-Men The End, where they also pop up very briefly. <laughs> and in that, Sinister has turned them to stone somehow. And they're like statues in his base that he's turned into like an illusion casting device. I don't know. Claremont's weird. I love him so much. X-Men The End. X-Men The End is insane but i recommend it it is a wild everyone, ride everyone died i just remember everyone dying and just being like, yeah oh this is how it's gonna end yeah it's pretty brutal honestly 
Oh, you know what I would love? A ladies' mastermind dating sh- a dating comic. Just <laughs> ladies' mastermind going on Like a date. trying to find a man? <laughs> yes. A, la- like a, a ladies' mastermind, uh, what is it? Love at first sight, love is blind. Ladies' mastermind as, as a bachelorette. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see more of their like interpersonal stuff. Like, who has Reagan dated? I'm sure she's dated somebody. And like the idea of them sitting around in their like estate and like, why can't we find a good man? And there's like no, it's like, and they're sitting there in their insane outfits, like smoking cigarettes. They can't smoke because no one in Marvel can smoke anymore. But you get what I'm saying, like that whole yeah, like like with big like full body reds. Yeah, exactly. Like... And they're just like, why are men such garbage? Like none of them ever treat us right, you know. And then we're going to find out, like, Bobby dated one of them. Of course Bobby dated one of them. Bobby dated one of them. Probably, I'm trying to think who else. Probably multiple man dated one of them. One of his multiples dated one, one of, of his, them. Yeah, like, one of his dupes back in the X-Core days. Like, like after she slipped out the back. <laughs> one of his dupes went down into the basement. Well, part of that whole plot is that Martinique is telepathically controlling some of the dupes, and that's part of why right. it all goes wrong. Well, like he go, he kind of gets his brain fried a little. Yeah, right? so and maybe like... it was a deeper relationship. <laughs> like or maybe it was just a telepathic affair, like a la Scott and Emma. Like we don't know, right? And then the best part is like none of them will ever admit it. No, no oh no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I kind of, quite honestly, like I've said, like Rogue feels pretty straight to me. But if we were to reveal that Rogue and Lady Mastermind had like a fling <laughs> during the Carrie era, that would be very funny because Rogue was single at the time and they had like intense hate fuck energy occasionally. So that would be fun. I mean, they, she did carry her around. Yeah, that, and she gave her like that, that outfit. She wears that outfit because Rogue gave her that outfit. <laughs> Wait, in that's the, canon. Um, when they turn, when she turn, when Lady Mastermind in, turns them all into Vargas, right? Yeah. She doesn't she make herself Remy at one point? Yes. And then Rogue is carrying. Her. <laughs> She's just like, oh, they must weigh the same. Here we go. <laughs> Well, I imagine part of the illusion can be that I'm heavier than I... Like, it's a full-spectrum sensory <laughs> illusion, right? Yes. She makes it harder for Wolverine to smell the Marauders. Like, she affects all five senses. It It is very funny, though, that panel of just, like, Rogue thinking she's carrying Remy to safety. And it's Lady Mastermind. <laughs> and it's Lady Mastermind! It's just very, like... That's why it's so fun, because anybody could be Lady Mastermind. It's like Mystique in that way, right? It's like, oops... Yeah, Mystique you thought, more, but like less smart, more ridiculous. Right, no, exactly. It's like just stupid. Like Mystique always has like a 10 page plan. And now sometimes it's a real crazy plan. Like I've become a teenage student at the Institute so that I can seduce Gambit to break up Gambit and Rogue because I don't approve of him for my daughter. That's insane, but it is a plan. Lady Mastermind never really has a plan. She's just kind of winging it. <laughs> Well, I mean, if she ever, if any, if either of the ladies' mastermind had plans, that's when we'd be, be screwed, right? No, they're too powerful <laughs> to have plans. Like, they have to be stupid because they're too powerful. There's a great Daredevil issue in the 90s, like, randomly by Ben Robb, where Martinique is the bad guy and she, like, pseudo seduces Foggy Nelson. 
Because she's like she's stolen Arcade's holdings after oh, the right. Gambit and Wolverine mini. Because she was really pissed because Arcade tricked her. Arcade told her that Wolverine had killed Miss Locke, his dragon lady assistant, as she's often called in the 70s. And it turns out that Arcade actually killed her himself in a fit of madness or whatever. And Martinique's like, you tricked me. So she <laughs> turns on him and steals all his stuff. Honestly, like, that Gambit and Wolverine mini is like a deeply misogynist comic <laughs> like it's called victims and the setup is like a pseudo jack the ripper thing where like women are just killed yeah i'm in at random in the streets and it centers around gambit being upset that this police detective in london who we had never met before but who he apparently had a romantic encounter with is the the latest victim and it culminates in, oh, Arcade stabbed Miss Locke to death. It's just like a very, like, violence against women. Like, Martinique gets killed, like, three times, but it's illusions or, like, a robot or whatever. Like, and it's just very, like, very violent against women. But it ends with, like, the triumph where Martinique's like, fuck you, Arcade, and, like, steals all his stuff. So then she pops up in Daredevil, and she lures him to Coney Island, where it turns out Arcade has a practice murder world where he like tests out things and she uses her illusions in concert with murder world to make him relive all of these like bad things in his past, like fight typhoid Mary fight this witness bullseye killing Electra again. And like, you can only save foggy or Electra and he saves foggy and um, foggy's like, why'd you save me, Matt? And he's like, cause Electra's already dead. So that was obviously not real. Also, it's like, witness this, but it's like, he's blind. I don't really, the issue doesn't make a ton of sense. I guess she is telepathic? I mean... She's like, watch! And it's like... (laughs) It doesn't quite... She's like, oh, fuck. (laughs) But that's a great example of, like, a lady mastermind, like, not really thinking it through, right? Like, her great game plan is to force the blind superhero to watch these traumatic memories, and it's like, he can't actually see any of them. Yeah, and she... And and then, like we said, there's no plan... There's never a plan B. (laughs) No, she just slips out the back again! (laughs) They truly just are always like, it's very Team Rocket. Like, they just blast off again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, <laughs> looks well, like the ladies mastermind are blasting off again that's it like, they just... she slips out the back a lot reagan reagan gets knocked unconscious or into a coma yeah constantly. reagan is <laughs> yes completely she needs to go to the healing gardens <laughs> needs some in giant size nightcrawl it's like oh of course this is the one who got trapped in like a coma by aliens and her power yeah. used because that's and like she, she needs this she has some severe cde the head injuries are just compounding <laughs> at this point <laughs> but don't get rid of any of the silly sister wrestling and don't get no, any, no. don't get rid of the animosity towards jean gray i want to see her show up with marvel Girl. well that's the other reason i wanted her on the x-men team because she right. hates gene so that would have been fun <laughs> also it's just also like why does she hate gene and she hates gene because doesn't she it's like you drove my father insane and destroyed my family but note that the reason gene did that was because mastermind was sexually <laughs> violating her telepathically and the bottom line is ruined your family. You didn't even know him. You didn't even like your dad. No, you that's what's so like funny about dad. it. Is like there's always this thing where it's like you wronged our father, and it's like you don't like your father. 
there's this like familial pride. Right. It's another way in which she's a fun mirror for Emma, right? Because like Emma hated her father and has no interest in like the Frost family name. Mm-hmm. Even though she is from this rarefied background, is from like an old money Boston Brahmin family. The Wingards, it's like not a real family. <laughs> His name is not really Jason Wingard. He made that up. And it's also like he has had multiple wives. And pro- not wives. Multiple. Who even, they might even mu- just be victims. We don't know where these daughters victims. came from. Right. It's like really, it's really dark. And like, they're just like, ah. Uh, the Wingard legacy and our family. It's like, there is no Wingard legacy. You're making this up completely. It is that nouveau riche tension, right? It's like they're trying to act as though they're of this noble house because he was part of the original brotherhood. Right. In the X-Core arc, Martinique, when she's like in her weird clockwork orange coma influencing the X-Core, when Chamber gets dragged into her mind space at one point, mm-hmm. we see that she's been weirdly, she's been reliving the early adventures of the brotherhood, but with herself in place of her father. Mm-hmm. And she starts hooking up with Toad. <laughs> it's truly weird. It's like her and Wanda and Pietro and Magneto and Toad hanging out, like doing crimes. And then she and Toad like fuck. And that's yeah. like the fantasy world she's crafted for herself. And then she, and then Reagan in the sage art is like trying to seduce the fuck out of Sebastian Shaw. Oh yeah. Because again, like that is what their father did in the dark Phoenix saga was essentially try and seduce Emma and Shaw into letting him into the club. Right. So they are very much like their father's daughters. That's part of what's so like, they are scum the way that he is. And they're obsessed with social climbing and grasping and with creating this whole legend around their father. When anybody who ever met him is like that disgusting (laughs) lech who was the scum of the earth. Like what are you talking about? I would love to see Emma Jean have just a side chat about like, like, Maybe maybe the ladies' mastermind volunteered to be part of the X-Men, right? And right. Then Emma and Jean have a side chat, and it's like... Why is this <laughs> happening? Why are they here? Who invited them? Like, like, I know that Krakoa here? is for all mutants, <laughs> but maybe we need to set a kind of... Stand. How did they even find this meeting? How did they even know to get <laughs> <Why>? here? <laughs> Who told them about this? <laughs> I also think it would be fun if they teamed up with Celine. <laughs> like just like for I don't know like to fuck with Emma at some point like that would be fun. I mean, Celine just uh yes. So it, they'd be much more fun than the weird death Necrotia. Yeah, that was like not a fun casting apart from Dazzler's goth sister Lois, who I do enjoy. <laughs> yes. And Blank. And Blank. Blank is great. Uh, Is she? I mean, I think AOA Blank is great, but 616 Blank has never really done it for me. I have a soft spot for teleporters and ladies' masterminds, so. That's fair. I love that for you. Like Ariel? Uh, I love Ariel. (laughs) Ariel's the best. (laughs) Ariel, you know, the ladies' mastermind would be good villains for Ariel, for like an Ariel mini. (laughs) 
if you're if you're unfamiliar with Ariel, Ariel is an alien from the Coconut Grove, which is a planet. <laughs> apparently, she's one of the characters from the original Fallen Angels back in the '80s, and then in the Utopia era, she popped up again. She has an X gene, apparently, so the Coconut yeah. Grove aliens must be related to humans somehow. Anyway, she can teleport by using doors so like could turn any door into a portal to somewhere else the problem with ariel unfortunately is that like krakoa has kind of outmoded her because like everybody has the gates now so i don't know how useful she is mm-hmm. but i love her and i would love to see her up to no good somewhere yeah and she has a very like well at least before like she almost died like they she dies, but then they she dies back. in Second Coming, and then they retcon that she didn't actually die because she's too fun. So they just but uh, she kind of has like this really great like soft butch uh, look, like very. She looks kind of like she's very. She looks like Cindy Lauper. <laughs> yes, you know, like a very sleek Cindy. Lauper. Yeah, yeah. And then in the Utopia era, they like gave her kind of a pixie cut with that like Cindy Lauper two toned eighties hair. Yeah, and then they're like. Like Cyclops is like, don't worry, your next teleporter's here after they start taking out the teleporters in Second Coming, and then like she gets bombed. Yeah, then she gets blown the fuck up. But it's fine, they retcon it so that she was like between two doors. She's like, hi, is it over? Um, (laughs) (laughs) But she looks fantastic before she gets not Yeah, I just, I would love like Dazzler and Ariel and a couple other like silly X-Women characters to like tangle with the ladies mastermind or like now that we're on Krakoa to team up with the ladies mastermind in some way. Some silliness. Like I would love like a a silly silly arc. Like, I, I want, like, the humor of Hellion. You know what? That's that's <laughs> Fallen Angels Volume 3. You rebrand. <laughs> Fallen Angels Volume 3 is a book about Dazzler's band. Ariel is the roadie, so that you have the connection to the original Fallen Angels. And the ladies' mastermind and Bling are, like, running a mutant record company. The way that Reagan had the movie studio in Age of X-Men. Yes. And it's just their stupid adventures. I would... Yes. Would would you make the ladies mastermind play instruments? Um, they would try, but they can't really, so they would play like tambourine. <laughs> it would be very like Lori Partridge, you know? Like Oh, I I would love Lady Mas- like Reagan to have like a little key like a keytar. Reagan would actually <laughs> be able to play Martinique would have a tambourine. <laughs> It'd be, and, da- and, Mar- and Pixie, Pixie is a huge Dazzler fan. We know this about it. That's where Hey, Jesus. I'm Ali, Hey comes from. She was Dazzler's backup dancer on one of her tours. So you yeah. could bring Pixie into the mix if, if she's not busy with Nightcrawler anymore. I also would love, people have been making jokes because in one of the preview art promo pieces for Way of X, like Curtis teleporting around and bothering people. And one of them, he kisses Pixie on the cheek and everyone's like, Kurt. She's 18, hands off. <laughs> I would love if Pixie's hanging around with Kurt and like Reagan is just like, he's a bad influence. Like he's way, like why is this like weird, dirty old man hanging around with my little sister? And Pixie's like, we're not like close. You don't have to watch it. She's like, I'm your big sister. Pixie's like, I never asked you to be my big sister. Please stop supervising me and Reagan's just like you're not wise to the ways of the world yet young lady like you can't hang out with this Lothario he claims he's a man of faith but I've seen his swashbuckling ways (laughs) or like if Kurt and 
Like if Kurt and Reagan, because they do have this weird connection. Like if Kurt and Reagan just started fucking, that would be really funny. And it would be particularly funny if Kurt and Reagan are fucking and Kurt is like taking Pixie as his sidekick. And Pixie's just like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Like, why are you hooking up with my horrible half-sister who I hate? I mean, the real thing is, is that late at least one of the ladies masterminds needs to be a new stepmom. Yes. Someone. Yes. Who can they marry? Um Emma had big stepmom energy with Rachel in that Claremont reload period and I feel like Reagan was born to be someone's stepmom. Could you imagine if like Reagan was Kid Cable's stepmom? <laughs> I'm trying to think of like who like well oh 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 i've got it i've got it banshee she marries banshee and becomes siren's stepmom siren who has just gone over being possessed by, by the more again but like siren is siren much like monet is like kind of a bitch in a fun way can you imagine right. like siren dealing with reagan who is now her stepmom and reagan starts calling herself reagan cassidy <laughs> that would be Okay, so Leah Williams, if you're listening. <laughs> Leah Williams, if you are listening, this is a free story idea that you can have if you would like it. We'd love to see it. It's so demented. That it would like, be super fun. Just popping into X Factor. Just like leaning <laughs> like... in, leaning in with like her boobs hanging through, like it's a splash page of just like her boobs and she's just like, Terry, hon, your father and I are going on vacation. And Terry's just like, because I do think Siren's probably going to replace Lorna on that team, right? If Lorna's leaving I mean, for the X-Men. It would make sense. Like, the arc is perfectly timed. And, and Siren love, was on X-Factor for years. And they love um, the Siren. They really lean into the Siren hypnosis. Yeah, which is a little bit mastermindy. Yeah. Maybe her stepmom, Reagan, can teach her better uses of her hypnosis. She's like, yes, now that I'm shacked up with this ginger daddy and I've gotten all his lucky charms, now his daughter is mine to shape. You will be another lady master. She's like, I don't like you at all. I'd like you to go away now. I want that. I want, I that, want that. I want that for them. Just I want, I just, <laughs> I just want her to be somewhere just ruining everyone's life because that's what she does best. And I enjoy that for her. Ruining in a very silly In a fun way. way right. Like it's like not you, any, you know. It, it works best when she's ruining like someone like Rogue who might not be the sharpest tool in the shed. Right. Right. Or like, or just like, a, or like a stiff. Like Siren. Or Sage. I mean, what or would really Sage. be funny also, like she would be great on X-Force. Right. Because first of all, she loves killing people. So that would be easy, right? And Jean yeah. is leaving. They need a telepath. I mean, they have Quentin, but like he's a loose cannon, right? Yeah. We don't even have to get into him. But Jean's leaving X-Force. You bring in Reagan. <laughs> and then she and Sage have all this history. Because like, remember when you tried to brainwash me? And then she's like, remember when you put me in a coma? Remember when you put me in a coma for years and I was experimented on by pandemic? <laughs> the evil Dr. Palance? 
it's just like well okay fine by goods and then like maybe they have like they had a weird i mean quite honestly like because it's chris claremont and it's impossible not to they had like there was like a sexual charge to all of the sage and lady mastermind stuff because how could there not be right right like there was wasn't there something like sebastian shaw is looking super daddy-ish it's a hot shaw yeah i think reagan's like she's like on his lap maybe and like Sage is in the background looking at both of them. I think that's a panel. I, There's I'm just not a lot of stuff there. And like she, in her illusion, dresses Sage back up in her like Tessa Hellfire Club gear. Mm-hmm. And she's wearing like a skin tight leather cat suit the whole time. There is a cute bit in the Carrie and Bocciolo stuff where when she takes over the hypnotherapy department in uh, Cable's base to figure out what's up with the mama dry that's like piggyback into her head. <laughs> When she goes into her mind space, she shifts from the titty top that Bachelor designed into the Laraka catsuit from Extreme, which was just a cute detail that I thought was good. I like when people's outfits change in like the astral plane or whatever. I always mm-hmm. think that's a fun beat. I also like it when she looks like she's going to be like a paratrooper, like a <laughs> nice little paratrooper outfit. I just, I just love every time these ludicrous characters show up they're just always fun right we didn't get that many questions because i was like does anyone have questions about the ladies mastermind and like five people were like who is this and i was like oh you're in <laughs> for a treat you, how do they not know they're, i know they're so good we did get I, a couple of questions though so we should we should go into okay those. are they tough i might they're not that tough okay questions from the listeners perfect Andrew Kosick writes, are we absolutely sure there isn't just one lady mastermind whose full name is Reagan Martinique Wingard and she's just fucking with everyone by pretending to have a twin? We, I think that's the beauty of it. Maybe. Possibly. It could absolutely be true. I, we, we have no way of knowing. I think there's actually two of them. But if you were, that would be a very easy retcon to do. The only thing you'd have to explain is how they were in two places at once in the story. That's why Reagan was created in the first place. But I don't feel like that would be that hard to do. You would just say she's super or that she is very, very powerful. Yeah. Like it could work. It could or, work. But you'd also have to retcon Pixie Strikes Back. And like yeah, the fair, and the fairy mom being like, "Hey, you two cop destroyers, with me. We're gonna go save my daughter." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kyle Disk writes, "Hi, Connor and Alex. Sorry, not sorry for bringing up the Brit, but with the reveal that Pixie is herself a lady mastermind, do you think there might be others out there we haven't seen yet? Could the Wingards actually rival the Summerses as a mutant dynasty, given a little chance to shine?" I have no doubt that Jason Wingard impregnated more people than just these three. Oh. For sure. For sure, other ladies' mastermind out there. Will we ever meet them? I don't know. I would like to explore the Reagan-Martinique-Pixie dynamic more before we introduce more characters into the family. But I do feel like it could be a very funny, like, oh, there's another one. Right. There's a couple of characters like that. Like, Unis the Untouchable is always just having new children introduced. Also, it's (laughs) like, wow, he got around. Yeah. Like, you have the acolyte, Unishion. Then you have Radius, who pops up in the X-Core arc with Martinique. I think the problem with it is that the problem with it is that he's such a creepy guy. Mastermind. The problem with Mastermind is that, like, yeah, the implication of Mastermind hooking up with anyone is like a little gross because the implication is that he deceived them in some way. So you don't necessarily want to whip that out too many times. Although it doesn't seem like Mrs. Gwyn, the fairy, was like deceived by Mastermind at all. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, yeah, I don't she, think she was. She's magical, right? Like, 
<laughs> you know? <laughs> so maybe they were just like actually like getting down. Or maybe that mastermind to different magical species is probably good looking. Maybe she thought he was hot. Yeah. We don't know. And maybe we don't know. So yeah, it's the whole consensual thing is the thing that is my only is my only thing against like what could be a really great gag of like, hey, I'm another lady mastermind. Yeah. He only has female children and they all have illusion power. Yeah. <laughs> William Clark writes, Hi Connor and Alex, longtime listener, first time caller. Love the podcast, especially as a companion to Jay and Miles. Between the two pods, X fans old and new can find fun inroads to the continuity. So thank you for that. I've always felt the X fandom should be a big tent, and this feels like the biggest expansion of said tent in my 25 years of reading X Men. I love the queer perspective that examines the subtext into which the creators are largely not permitted to delve. That being said, I was wondering if there's any popular reading of the masterminds as trans. I lack the insight to recognize a lot of non-textual representation. I know the coding of LGBTQ is more common with villains and it can be a complicated association, but I just thought it might be interesting. Again, big fan, make mine Cerebro. So I think that with the ladies mastermind, it gets into some of the conversations about Mystique, right? Where, like, I think that character, there's a lot more foundational stuff there, but she also gets into the trope of, like, transness as deception. And I think with these characters, it would be messy to do that. Mm-hmm. I see it more as, I mean, we keep talking about the Cock Destroyers. The Cock Destroyers are staunch trans allies and clearly draw on gender performance as part of their whole thing, like, very heightened gender performance. And the Ladies Mastermind are definitely doing that. But I read them as cis women exaggerating femininity and sexuality in a comical way like that, as opposed to it being a gender performance that's identity based. I just don't really see it. I think it'd be too problematic if I'm like being real. Yeah, well, I mean, that whole idea of like the connection of trans as deception versus because like it's not I think there is something to like what you got at earlier of like this could all just be like an appearance for them. Right. Right. And if, and if that's the way you want to look at them, I think that there's definitely an interpretation of just like, this is the way I'm presenting myself to the world. And I think that's like what part, that's what's appealing for like, as like a gay reader like me with the ladies mastermind of just like this over the top, the over the top gender performance of them is definitely a part of the appeal of the character. It's like, this is so crazy. Like it it is drag. It is high drag. Right. And, and it is, and it is fantasy too. It's like, who doesn't want to be like, that's a power fantasy of like, if I could, I don't know. Of course, it's like some part of me is like, wouldn't it be nice if I could just like throw an illusion up? Steven Tornero writes, Dear Connor and guest, outside of the Supernova's arc of Uncanny X-Men, I haven't seen the Sisters Mastermind featured as anything other than a joke setup or a punching bag for Emma Frost. How do these characters fit into the new world of Krakoa? And more importantly, how do you think writers and artists can update these outdated tropey characters to the level of the more complex and multifaceted women on the island? So I don't think they're outdated. I think that they are parodying a kind of 90s villainess when they're written well. That bad girl villain who just has her nipples covered, like, was played very straight in the 90s in Marvel and at DC and at indie comics. Like, they're very witchblade, right? Like, in their design. It's like that kind of thing. Or, um... Or like even like Gen, do you remember Gen 13? Gen 13, yeah. (laughs) Like it has that kind of vibe. And so they are tropey, but I think it's self-consciously tropey under most contemporary writers. It's like, 
here's Lady Mastermind. Like she is that goofy comic book sex doll. Mm-hmm. It's self-conscious about it. Like she's presenting herself that way sort of on purpose. I liked how Shauna McGuire wrote her. I would like to see more women write these characters. I liked how Catherine Eminen wrote her. I would like to see more women writing both of the ladies mastermind because there is something very like self-consciously winky and fun and women writing. Like the thing about it in Pixie Strikes Back is they're not just a joke, right? Like it also humanizes them more than previous stories had. Like they do feel the need to help their little sister they do do something heroic in the end, but it also is just sort of like these characters are ridiculous and were created by men as sex objects and we're going to make fun of that. Mm-hmm. So again, like I think a writer like Leah Williams could do really funny stuff with them that would be thoughtful. I just think that they need, and Reagan is the one who really has been more prominent and is probably the one you'd want to work with, but I feel like you just need whichever one of them you're using a writer who has a concept for them and an idea with what to do with them. Like, how do they fit into the new world of Krakoa? We've suggested like seven different things over the course of this episode. Like, they're so easy to shoehorn into a narrative because they're driven mostly by the desire for money. So you can kind of convince them to do anything. Mm-hmm. Especially now that they live in paradise in a post-scarcity world where they don't need money. So now they just want to have fun, presumably. <laughs> you right. know? Right, like a lot of it is like, with I think the most interesting parts of like Krakoa is like there are quite there's a lot of questions of just like where does morality fit in if we can all be resurrected or where does all this stuff like what happens when you don't when mutants don't have to struggle what happens when Reagan doesn't have to struggle or Martinique doesn't have to yeah like what happens when we don't have to do crimes right and we aren't constantly being like put into comas like you know Yes. No more amnesia, no more comas. What are they going to do? And I think that's the exciting thing about it. It's like, do something fun. Yeah, well, it's like what Teeny Howard said about Apocalypse and like the pitch for Excalibur is like, what do you get for the boy who has everything? Like Apocalypse achieved his goal. So what does he want now? And Apocalypse is an extreme example, but I think most of the villains who have come to live on Krakoa The question is, like, are they evil because they're evil? And in some cases, yeah, like, Mr. Sinister is evil. That's an evil dude. Mm -hmm. But some characters are just people who are from a fucked up background and were given an incredible power that they then exploited to make things better for themselves. Like, the Ladies Mastermind are two characters who we don't know that much about their past, but let's assume... It wasn't great. I mean, I don't think they had a stable home life. You know what I'm saying? I think they were Mastermind's bastard children that he left somewhere and never looked back at particularly. He might have known Martinique more. It seems like maybe they were closer. But he and Reagan don't seem to have had a relationship before she was an adult. I mean, if Pixie's any indication, Pixie didn't even know that he was her father. Like, so... Assuming that their mothers were human women, in the case of Reagan and Martinique, there's this intense daddy issue thing where it's like, not only did I not know my father, but I have these powers because of my father who I didn't know and who, by all accounts, is a real scumbag. But I have this longing for him to be something else, for him to like have been this important figure, this founding member of the Brotherhood. Like, 
I don't know. There's a lot you could dig into with their psychology that I think would be interesting. Martinique, as initially presented in the 90s, was a more intelligent character. I think that she's been kind of flanderized into a dummy because it's funny. But I think you could do fun stuff with them. I think Reagan in particular, because of all the connections she has to other X-Men, because of her time in the carry run, because of her debut in Extreme X-Men, I just think there's a lot of stuff you could do there. Also, I like I'd want to see them interact with like the humans a little bit of like yeah. this whole idea of like you have Krakoa and it's this whole like these like simmering tensions between like, okay, well they're starting like a new world. Like what about if it's like the ladies mastermind PR agency? <laughs> Well, right. Like, that's why I think X-Corp would be a really fun place for Reagan in particular. Like, how do you do a public-facing type? Yeah, because in the carry run, some of the funniest stuff is whenever Reagan has to talk to civilians as though she's... And they're like, you're an X-Man? She's like, yeah, I've saved the world a few times. No big deal. (laughs) Like, that's funny. And the idea of, like, Warren and Monet being like, please stop (laughs) talking to the public. (laughs) Like... And she's like, no, 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 you don't get it. I'm a master of illusion. I know everything about appearance. I'm an influencer now. <laughs> yes. Like, they absolutely should be Instagram influencers. Right. There's just so much fun stuff. They just they just need, like, a, like a, a momager. Honestly, like, they should be. Yeah, I was, you, you read my mind. I was like, <laughs> they should be, like, mutant Kardashians. Like, that's really, <laughs> you know? But also, like, the whole idea of, like, the Kardashians, as silly and tropey as they are, there's the other reading to them, which is, like, behind all that. That they're doing it on purpose, that it's very calculated, yeah. Yeah. And And there is a genius profitability to that. Absolutely, it's all calculated, and they have, honestly, bring back Pixie's mom to be their momager. (laughs) This, again... The momager behind Dazzler's band record. Yeah, all of it. I'm like, we're giving, this is gold. I think we're really coming up with something here. Mastermind Records. Here we go. There we go. Joanna Marsh writes, Hi, Connor and Alex. Love the podcast. First off, to be a little cliche, but honest. To honor the girls who made Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss their family motto, my questions will be predominantly superficial. First off, there's no way Reagan's a natural blonde, right? What do you think would be some fun personalized visual cues to avoid a potential Saturnine looks like Emma situation between her and all the other blonde white women X-Men and Marvel really have to offer? Chunky 2000s highlights? A Rachel cut? Brunette root she insists is an ombre? (laughs) (laughs) I love this. I love this listener so much. I do too, Joanna. This is great. Speaking of hair not being real, Martinique was shaved down to Natalie Portman in V for Vendetta length and Uncanny 400 and something, and is back to her full Talia Al Ghul brunette Veronica Lake fantasy the next time she appears. Speaking as a woman with a history of long hair, I'm slightly skeptical that she had the time to grow all that hair back. Are we thinking wig? I'm going to be real. I'm thinking illusion while she was growing it back out, is my guess. Reagan is probably not a natural blonde. That is absolutely coming out of a bottle or again an illusion you never know yeah i think a chunky highlight could be cute i think that you could take her back well now emma has a lob but like when she first appeared in extreme x-men she had like a sharp lob haircut that you could go back to but or what an amazing gag that would be with every panel or like every appearance they come in with different hair yeah (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you can change it, why not, right? Yeah. 
And it's just like, oh, I just tried out pink. Well, it would be very funny if they both started doing pink to look like Pixie because she's popular <laughs> and they're her sisters. And they're just like, yeah, we're Pixie's older sisters. We all have pink hair. And Pixie's just like, please stop. But yes, I don't think she, I think she is definitely a bottle blonde. I think yeah. she probably has like strawberry blonde hair and just wants to make it blonder. But. Who knows? Joanna continues to write. Oh, and Joanna notes she's Canadian if I want to do an accent. I forgot to do that. But thank you for pointing that out. I appreciate when the listeners tell me what they sound like so that I can try to fake it. This is interesting. She says, feel free to skip this because it gets heavy. But I think it's a good, I think it's thought provoking. So I'm going to go there. More seriously, she says, and trigger warning for sexual assault and Jason Wingard being gross. How do you think the mistress minds reconcile the fact that they're almost certainly the product of rape with their oscillating feelings toward dear old dad? Martinique seems kind of feminist in her first appearance, even, saying that Wolverine and Gambit, as men, can't understand how she feels about her failures to stop Arcade's misogynist violence. Is this a familial blind spot or inconsistent characterization? Are they an empath situation where consent, as others understand it, is an alien concept to them due to their own powers influencing their environment? Should there be a revenge fantasy story not written by a straight dude with their moms putting Jason back in the ground? Resurrection protocols be damned? Or in your opinion, would it be less horrifying if the story was that their moms are bride of Bundy types who consented to sex with that partially melted Vincent Price wax figure motherfucker? Thanks a bunch and have a great day, Joanna Marsh. First of all, great letter. You're very funny. We touched on this a little bit. It does seem like if Mastermind is seducing women, it's probably in a deceptive circumstance, which is fucked up. I think that this was easier to bypass when he wasn't alive, right? Like when these were the characters who were here dealing with his legacy. And it seemed like Martinique had this inflated impression of him and that Reagan didn't really ever know him. Now that he is around on Krakoa and is alive again, I feel like that's something that they would have to deal with more. I I think it would be interesting to go back both ways with it to have maybe Martinique's mother be someone who was really into him and maybe Reagan's mother be someone who he deceived and then abandoned because that would explain maybe the girls' different relationships to him in terms of how they regard him. It also is just an inconsistent characterization thing because sometimes they talk about him as though they don't care about him at all and other times they've been like our father but I think that you can make that work I mean, when they really talk shit about him, it's mostly to Pixie's mom. So it's sort of like a family conversation. And then when they're talking to Jean Grey, they're going to be like, you drove my father insane. Like, I hate you. You know, it's sort of like that's family business that we're not going to talk about with people outside of the family. I don't know. I think that the problem with Mastermind and why it'll be interesting to see what they do with him now is that he's a little bit like Fenris, where it's like it tests the limits of Krakoan amnesty because much like Fenris being incestuous Nazis, Mastermind being a serial rapist is something that it's hard to deal with in an X-Men comic. I mean, that's part of why I like Sabretooth's in the pit, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's extremely complicated, and it's also like... It's like, do we want to go there, is the question. Do you want to go there? Do you want to devote a lot of issues to it, and then also, like, run the risk of handling it super clumsy? Right. Like, if I were the writer, I would be nervous about handling it badly. So I, I think that's why we've never quite delved into it. There are just a lot of ramifications that are not fun, and the thing about the ladies' mastermind is that they're fun, right? So you don't necessarily want to 
expose the sort of dark underbelly that the characters by their existence sort of suggest. Uh But I don't know. Again, I think that I think these characters are at their best when they're written by women. I've said that before, and I think it's true, although I love the way Carrie writes Reagan. I would like to see a female writer tackle all of the weird, complicated things going on with these characters. Mm-hmm. And also, just like, I think you were saying, like, some people, like, we were talking about this, like, five seconds ago. It was just about, like, some people are incredibly fucked up, and they get powers, and it's really weird when Right, they well, that's like the empath <laughs> thing, right? Like, it's it's entirely possible that Reagan's opinion would just be like, there's nothing fake about my illusions, so there's nothing fake about Dad's illusions either. Mm-hmm. You know, like we shape the world as we see it and as we want to see it. And humans shouldn't complain about that. My mother included, you know, like it could be very you could go dark with it. Mm -hmm. But again, like I just don't know how deep into like the rape culture aspect of mastermind necessarily writers want to delve. That's just very real world heavy shit to deal with in a superhero comic, you know. Mm -hmm. So I understand why there would be hesitation. Michael Phillips writes, hey, Connor and Alex. Connor, congrats on how successful the podcast has grown. I love tuning in every week. And Alex, I love your Twitter account. Can't wait to hear this episode. Anyway, (laughs) I have a question that I've forgotten to ask for every other telepath you've covered so far. I love how you've pointed out that Danny and Karma are telepaths but can't do everything that Xavier and Jean can do. Or that Emma's not an Omega-level mutant because she lacks the sheer power Jean has, but her specialty is more surgical. My question is, if some full telepaths have specific specialties, what do you think they're best at? Like, Emma is better at mind manipulation, but Xavier is better at astral projection, etc. And if this is the case, what does that say about these specialty telepaths? Are the Wingard illusionists powerful enough to keep more broadly powerful telepaths fooled, since that's their sole ability? Is Karma a stronger possessor than Betsy? Thanks, Michael. So, as with all, like, power level comparisons, this comes down to whatever a writer wants, right? But my sense is absolutely that, yes, karma is better at possessing people than anybody else we've met, because that's her whole thing. And the ladies' mastermind are better at illusion casting than anyone else. I mean, Emma, as we pointed out, in the San Francisco hippie arc, projects illusions of herself and Scott as hippies to blend in. But Emma's not going to psychically convince an entire city that they're in 1967. You know what I mean? Like, also, she's like, "How the fuck is this happening?" In that issue, right? Like, she's like, "I've never seen anything like this." Yeah. So I think that it has to do with how you've trained the power, and also like what your focus is. Like, Reagan and Martinique are very low-level telepaths outside of the illusion. But they probably are better at casting an illusion than anybody else. Emma can't do psychic battering ram stuff quite the way that Jean or Rachel can. But she is probably better at like altering memories or other like really precise surgical telepathy things than someone like Rachel, who's more of a battering ram, is. Jean can pretty much do whatever she sets her mind to because she's an Omega level telepath. But Outside of Jean, I think that we have seen telepaths be more specialized. With Tessa, the computer brain thing is also kind of a specialty that has made her more distinct. With Betsy, who originally was just a broad-spectrum telepath like Jean, starting in the 90s, they really focused her into the psychic weapons thing, which she's definitely better at than everybody else, Mm -hmm. except for Kanon now. 
who is emphasizing that more because they've given her the 90s Psylocke power set more than Betsy, who's sort of doing something else as Captain Britain now. So yeah, I mean, I think that it varies by writer, but that what we have seen is telepathy is a broad power and most telepaths who are not on the level of Gene or Xavier, who's not Omega level, but seems pretty close to it. The others seem to have specific specialties that they focus on, you know, mm-hmm. which makes sense because otherwise everybody would be the same and that would be boring. There's already a lot of telepath characters. Yeah. And it's also like they use their telepathy just to make their illusions like realer. Yeah. The Mastermind sisters just use telepathy to pull. It's actually not unlike what Mirage does, Danny. Yeah. They see what you're afraid of or what you're insecure about and then use that to shape their illusions and make them especially effective. Mm-hmm. They're not really using telepathy in other ways, except for the arc where Martinique takes control of some of the Madrox dupes. Right. Which I, I mean, I like that. I like it that way. Yeah, I do too. I like when people have specialties. I prefer that. And like, also like, oh, wow, their illusions are so good. They could probably fool Emma. <laughs> yeah. And they, yeah, like can and have, right? So like, that's the stuff I really, I really like. I love that Reagan was like, it took Wolverine, who has the best mutant nose in the world, a while to realize that the Marauders were in the room with them mm-hmm. because Reagan's illusion was just that good. He managed to figure it out eventually, but it took a while. Right. That's fun. I like that Betsy or Khan on Psychic Knife can really fuck people up in a way that other telepathy doesn't necessarily in that really violent way. I think that that is interesting and different. I like that Rachel has the chrono skimming power that's specific to her that other people can't really do. That is how you vary those characters and make them more interesting and how you can have more than one telepath in a book and not feel like they're redundant. Right. And then there's also, I love the part tangentially connected to to Reagan. And it's in, it's a messiah complex. And they're like, and the suffer cuckoos are like, we can't find the baby. Like, I can't, I can't right. find hope. And they're like, and I was like, you idiots. Don't look for the baby. Look for the marauders. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, I feel like the suffer cuckoos are probably like close to Omega level, right? Like they're pretty When powerful. they're working together. Yeah. Right. That's their thing is that they need to be the hive mind in order to reach those higher levels. <laughs> she was like, come on. have We've been over this a million times. Just find one of the idiot marauders. Yeah, no, because Reagan's <laughs> cloaking the baby. Find yeah. the fucking... <laughs> find Vertigo or Harpoon. <laughs> yeah. Find Scrambler. Scrambler's probably just like a loose cannon. Yeah, exactly. So that's good stuff. Find Blockbuster. He will not be hard to find. <laughs> yes. Well... Alex, thank you so much for returning to the pod. This was so much fun. It's so much fun to come back. And it's so I'm so happy that it's doing so well and that there's so many X-Men fans that, you, that are out there. And I think it's so exciting to be an X-Men fan at this time. It's the most exciting time to be an X-Men fan that I can remember. Like, I, I can't remember the last time like we were on, like, going on Twitter and then making jokes about, like, I don't remember. I, it was some kind of, I made some dumb joke about some esoteric mutant and people were like laughing with me. Yeah. Cause like people know who that is now. Yeah. Right. And it's just like 
fun to be a part of. This era, this Krakoa era, there are more people going back and reading the classic stuff than I think there ever have been before. And that's a real testament to how good this stuff is, that it's a jumping on point, but it also makes people want to go back. I am constantly being contacted by people in the email account, people on Twitter who are like, look at this omnibus I just bought because I want to read the Claremont stuff or I want to read Excalibur or I want to read all of these things that they either heard about on the pod or that they looked up after they saw it referenced in one of the new issues. One of the things that's so profound about this era is that it's not comics about comics, right? Like, you don't have to know mm-hmm. these old stories to like what's going on now. But if you do, they are all the richer. Mm-hmm. It is just a really exciting time. And it's incredibly funny. I think that's, I think they're so allowing funny. they're allowing it to, like, the really great X-Team editors, everyone... Well, and Marvel editorial, you know, higher up is allowing so much freedom. And just like silliness and funniness and just like stuff like, yes, stuff is supposed to be ridiculous. Stuff is supposed to be overblown and like can't be over the top. And it's okay to appreciate that. And it's nothing, it doesn't ever like, granted, like this, the whole idea of like the, the mutants and the whole like, the deeper meaning there's always that deeper meaning of like acceptance and all these things but it's also like there's a lot of humor in that life absolutely (laughs) and i'm glad that we can all appreciate it at once Mm -hmm. well why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you online and plug anything that you want to plug you can find me at vox and then i'm on twitter and it's usually silliness and tweeting about gay stuff it's Alex underscore A B A D as in dog S. And I think that's the easiest way to say someone's Twitter handle online. Alex Abads. Yeah. With an underscore, underscore in the middle. Tweet at me. Yeah, tweet at him. He's fun. You should also, if you haven't listened to the Emma Frost episode, it's a real fun time. We just fag out about Emma for like two hours. <laughs> If you've made it this far to the end, also, I keep forgetting to issue this correction. Back in the Strife episode in the character file, I said that Cable was forced to kill his son, Tyler. Uh, Actually, Wolverine killed him and Cable was upset about it. And I just fully forgot because that character is silly and I forgot. So thank you to the person who reached out and was like, wait, Wolverine killed Tyler back when the Dark Riders. I was like, oh, you're right. And I forgot. So... The point was Cable had to fight his son and was sad about it. So now you know. We'll handle all this on a Tyler Dayspring episode that will never, ever probably happen. Episode 501 after Magma, episode 500. I keep saying that and then I'm going to definitely get to Magma earlier than 500 and people are going to be disappointed, (laughs) right? Or maybe they'll be delighted. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Twitter at DreamOfOrganon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes at CerebroCast.com, the official landing page for the podcast. You can also find a link there to the CerebroFan Discord, which is a fun little community. Please join us. Don't bring any bad vibes. You can also find a link there to the Patreon. As mentioned, the first bonus episode is up now, patreon.com slash CerebroCast. You can join the House of Zaladane and revel in bonus content with us for just $5 a month. You can email your questions to Cerebro at CerebroCast at gmail.com. Next week's episode will continue this week's episode to some extent because artist Josh Quinillon will be joining me to talk about Megan Gwynn, the X-Man known as Pixie. 
Way of X 1 will be out by the time you hear next week's episode. So read it, send in your questions. We are going to dig deep on the pink-haired, half-fairy, half-mutant, and all of her misadventures. I'm looking forward to that. I am too. I love the teleporting. You do love a teleporter. Teleporting in pixie dust. I'm yeah, in. what's not to like? Until next time, everybody, thank you for listening. It is always great to hear from you all. And the support just blows my mind all the time. And I'm so blessed to have a kind and thoughtful and loyal listenership. So thank you for being here. And until next time, bye. Bye. <laughs> I'll see you later. See you in 30 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is 